Welcome back to another episode of the Individuation Podcast. My name is James Malmus, and we've got a great episode for you. Today is the finale of the series, A Warrior Born, a reading of the novel by the author, Dylan Hansen. We have combined episodes 11, 12, and 13 into this jam-packed finale. A special thank you to Dylan Hansen for taking the time to read her novel and share it with us. We are excited for you to listen to the conclusion. So without any further ado, Dylan, take it away. This is Dylan Hansen, continuing to read A Warrior Born. Chapter 40, Sonara. Sonara didn't blame Ravenna for giving up whatever drive they wanted. That pain, what Sora did. Sonara still felt Aspen's knife at her throat. If she felt that, Ravenna would be feeling worlds worse. A groan pierced the emptiness that Sora and Elijah made in their wake. She looked to the bed. There, there was Ravenna trying to get up. Apparently, Sora's phantom had left quicker than Aspen's. Sonara immediately ran for Amaluli's bandages. She had seen her do her work before and had seen enough to know that she needed to add cream and bandage. And she, added to add, she needed to add cream and bandage the wound up before any infection set in. As Sonara moved, Aeon snapped out of his daze and clobbered over to where Ravenna was trying to stand. You're lucky that you didn't actually get impaled earlier today, he said. If Ravenna was shocked at all that he knew that, she didn't show it. Sonara, however, gawked. Paxton told me, he said. Ravenna rolled her eyes as if to say, of course he did. Sonara didn't blame Pax. With how frantic A.N. was, she would have done the same thing. Don't try to stand, he whispered as he hesitated to touch her. Sonara swept up a wad of creams and bandages from a forgotten table filled with all sorts of medical tools and supplies and ran to where Ravenna teetered on her rump. She found what she needed. It would cover Ravenna's open skin and hopefully make the infection think twice before entering. Ravenna winced as Sonara unscrewed the bottle and began applying the globby mess of, oint of ointment. Ayan went to touch her, but hesitated before he could brush her supple skin. I'm not shattered glass, Ayan, she said. You can touch me without breaking my infrastructure. Ravenna. He breathed her name like his heartbeat was attached to the syllables. Sonara wanted to, to give them a moment but she steeled her voice, her focus to her sister's wound. I'm fine, Ravenna cut in, wincing as Sonara applied the cold, sticky, cabbage-smelling cream. How bad is it? Sonara thought it would have been worse, but that didn't mean Ravenna's wound was good either. Sora had peeled away a few inches of skin, cutting off the flab so her raw flesh was exposed to the unforgiving elements of this world. Your lack of response is very comforting, Ravenna groaned. Sorry, Sonara grumbled as she focused. Ravenna would be fine, but if infection hit, the door flew open, and Pax, Leif, and Greyer rammed into each other's heels as they stormed in. What the hell happened? Paxton ga gasped 
and gasped again as he took in Ravenna's wound. Her sister was half leaning, half falling off the bed with Aeon holding her up. Her brow was pale and sweat infested. Her lips cakey, though none of them stopped her from winking at Paxton. Though none of that stopped her from winking at Paxton. Sora and Aspen had questions for her, Sonara said, ones that she was reluctant to answer. Does Ravenna know what it is they're looking for? Pax asked. Yeah, Sonara said, and she told them where to find it. What? Grayer blurted, her eyes wide as she, t as she too finally got a good look at Ravenna's skin. Her glare was murderous, but it wasn't directed at Ravenna, rather reserved for those who had hurt her. Ravenna groaned and hissed as Aeon helped Sonara wrap a thick bandage around her waist. Laith shut the door, Ravenna snapped. Come here, all of you. With a little help, Ravenna, Ravenna sat up fully. That big idiot doesn't have shit, Ravenna whispered so only they could hear. A Syro told me of a drive Roshin and Neith hid, but she only told me the location of the fake one. Silence cut the room once more. They made two, one blank and one real. So if anyone should go looking, they had a better chance of keeping it hidden. Whatever the hell is on that drive, many people went through great lengths to make sure it didn't fall into Wes's hands. So I'm sure its contents are not that of sunshine and rainbows. Paxton took a step back. His nose twitched the way it always did when he thought too hard. Sonara found herself in the same headspace not long after. Two drives, Ravenna had known, and she let them torture her anyway. It was only when the knife turned on Aeon that she had said something. They would have known I wouldn't have given up that information easily. They had to believe I was telling them what I was telling them was the honest truth. She said as if she had heard Sonara's thoughts. Aeon mumbled something under his breath and stepped back. This was part of a plan, wasn't it? You and Asira cooked up this insane plot. Ravenna nodded. He ran his fingers through his hair, and Sonara thought she, she knew what was coursing through his head. If Ravenna made it out of their plot alive, what would she face when she met the man who killed her parents? Don't worry, Aeon, Ravenna beamed, stretching her limbs to see if she could stand. I'll always be here to keep you on your toes. Sonara, Ravenna said as Aeon braced a hand on her side so she could stand. Can you show me which tunnel to take in order to get to the river? Ravenna was good at many things and making the room go absolutely silent was one of them. You're in no condition, everyone started at the same time. Oh, hush up about conditions, Ravenna scolded. This is our only opportunity, the only way, and I'm going to take it. You will be no help if you're dead, and that opportunity would have been for nothing, Sonara yelled. Braving the world around her, Ravenna waved Aeon away and stood to her full height. If I can stand, I can fight, she said, 
and then walk towards the door. She knows that's not how that works, right? Whispered Grayer. It's how I'm saying it works, Ravenna said. Pax and Lace, go to Talon. Have him help you make sure Sora leaves after he get was, gets what he came for. Asira and Ravenna had planned it that way, no doubt. So Sora would be gone by the time Ravenna was. Another obstacle eliminated. How do you know he'll help us? Sonara asked just before they reached the door. Because he did when I asked him what Paxton should do to make it look like he impaled me. Sonara's brain churned. Ravenna trusted Talon? A League soldier. A League legatus. Ravenna, her sister who considered homicidal murder whenever she saw Aspen or Jazara. She trusted one of their men. Ravenna was not Sonara. She did not give out trust to anyone. Grayer, meander about as if nothing is the matter, but keep within signaling distance from A.N. I want you to following Sonara and I. Keep your distance, but get me into those tunnels. Why don't you do it? Grayer mumbled to Ravenna, though there was something playful in her eyes. A.N. looked as if he was about to explode, and Sonara echoed his sentiments. He just found out Ravenna was not hurt in the pits, and seemed to be grasping at the fact that she could walk, let alone give orders to them, after what had happened. Though he simply nodded and followed as Ravenna opened the door. Everyone ready? she asked. Leif, who had been his usual quiet self, began shaking his head. Greyer flicked him, which had him pouting, but nodding. I would raise my hand and say, go team, but that's a little cliche. Ravenna smiled as she said, so I'll just stab myself with adrenaline and run off to a 50-50 chance of death. Lace, Pax, and Anne's eyes went wide. Grayer shook her head, grinning, and Sonara gaped as Ravenna jumped, jammed a capsule of adrenaline into her thigh and forced herself out the door. Chapter 41, Meridian. The room had gone silent. Only my breathing and the star-struck rasp coming from the lower-level legatus pierced the hall. His blue eyes bore into mine, one question floating in them. How? My father's voice cut through the silence. That's enough. I removed my knee from the sensitive spot that, I, that my opponent had been groaning about and walked back to my starting position, watching as the legatus crawled up and stomped through the doors of the training hall. As he left, I spotted my little brother Rowan. He dipped his head, his soft brown eyes sensitive as he disappeared into the hall, probably off to the library or language lessons with our mother. She never came to these things either claiming she was busy with studies, but I didn't think that was true. I thought memories of a time long past coursed through her head when she saw the blood on the floor, on the weapons, and the grins atop the warriors. She always found me afterwards, talking my, taking my face in her hands, kissing my forehead, and saying, my little rose. 
My focus got drawn to Gisette then, who was licking her canines as if they were saturated with venom. Pick your weapons, West said again, no time to regain, regain any strength. The legatus was the warm-up. Gisette was the real battle. The gremlin slithered up to her starting position, rotating a long, war-worn sword with chips in the blade that fooled onlookers into underestimating its killing capacity. I walked over to Chloe, who had my daggers, shaking my head at Daisy, who lifted my breastplate in the corner. My blades were ingrained with swirls of roses and long vines that spread through the middle seam. The handles were wrapped in dark leather with an elegant rose on each pommel, one white rose, the other red. The white rose dagger I named Roshin after my aunt. The red rose blade I named Legacy to remind me what I had to live up to. Holding them brought me back to her room, to the drawing of her tattoo, a rose, a thorn added for each kill. Wes may have thought his sister was the most loyal and adept soldier, but her tattoo spoke to how much she was against her home. A rose was a thing of beauty, of life's light. Its thorns were the darkness that protected it, but with too much darkness that light could get smothered. Roshin wanted to remind herself how death could impact the beauty of the world, and I never wanted to forget it. Take your positions, West said. Gisette and I faced each other. I didn't know why the gremlin opted to fight me, but I knew I had to beat her. I no longer had the aspiration to be heir, but I did have the responsibility to create a legacy, Roshin's legacy, a league without violence. That dream would be dead in the ground, just like her, if I didn't show my father that I deserved to be Rex. The, the fighting prayers were said, and then it was time. There was no breathing time, no second to prepare myself. Gisette attacked, and all I could do was slip to the ground and pop up as quickly as I could. A sly grin spread through the gremlin's features as I made the next move. I feigned left and ducked under her sword that glided through the air. Before she reared back, I slashed out with legacy, meeting home on her leg. Blood flowed down her blue-lined black suit. Taking advantage of her momentary lagging, I twirled, linked my leg with hers, and followed gravity as it pulled us to the ground. We didn't stay there for long. Gisette kneed my side, giving me blurry vision as he rolled onto her feet, rotated her sword in her hand, and landed a blow that rattled through my arms. I raised my blades to meet her metal. Fight. Your insides may bleed and your limbs may give out, but do not stop fighting until you're buried in the ground. My father's wisdom, always haunting my thoughts and pushing me forward. Though this time it was different. This time I used his lessons to fight against his violent teachings. As I popped up to my feet, I stuck my daggers to her sword, throwing Gisette off balance. I had a second until she regained her composure, a second until her sword reeled towards my head, and I used it. My right arm swiped her thigh as I crouched and twirled, 
slicing her shoulder and coming up behind her. There were no more seconds to spare. I eyed the post my father was lounging on earlier and grinned as an idea came to mind. Gisette's bony elbow attempted to jab my gut that was not yet healed, but I gripped it hard, twisted the stringy limb and hooked my feet around hers as I thrust my body at her. She gasped, bones cracking together, and stumbled headfirst into the pillar, tumbling outside the boundaries of the sparring platform. My legs wobbled, blood leaking from multiple places, but the pain was, mere, was a mere tingle compared to the glares of Gisette. She did not want me to win, did not want me to become a legatus or heir or rex. Elijah, huddled in the corner, grumbled and fell into the shadows. He had been distant ever since Russia, jealous and angry, sticking closer to Sora's favorite soldiers, my father and Sika. Finally, Wes cut the silence. To our new Legatus Meridian, heir to the League, he dipped his head in confirmation. Kara, Sarah, Chloe, and Terence bowed their heads, smiling with approval but also worry. They knew as much as I did that I would have to do what they knew as much as I did what I would have to do in the game ahead and what I would have to sacrifice to conceal my traitorous thoughts. Well, we all would. I rolled Roshin and Legacy in my palms. My father would always be my father, and I would always respect what he had done. But once I was Rex, I would not let our soldiers tear each other apart, and I would burn that whipping post to the ground. If we had to kill to protect when necessary, then I could not argue with that. It was what we had always done, but only if we had to. I would not let the darkness outshine the light of this world. Chapter 42, Ravenna. You'd think for someone who was inherently smart, Sonara would know how to give better directions. I had left her pouting in Carlo's room, snagging the keystone before I encased myself in a tuttle with a thousand years of dirt and mildew cake, caked onto the walls. Sonara couldn't come with me. Asira specifically said to enter alone. If I caught, if I caught, if I got caught, it would be better that way. It had must have a knox, so in case I didn't exit these tunnels. The wound at my side was a minor annoyance. Much better after a few shots of painkillers and an awakening burst of adrenaline. My eyes were wide and twitchy, so perhaps I over-exaggerated the amount of adrenaline I would need. But if, I got, but if it got me through today. My sister had been right about the overall creepy gloom of the place. It could have been picked right out of a catalog for vampire hideaways. Though I'd admit, the constellations engraved into the ceiling of the large room with multiple tunnels were striking. Ancient and a little eerie, but magnificent nonetheless. Douse your torch when you get to the constellation chamber, Sonara had said after she drew a ready map. Blocking out the only source of light in the, 
in a room filled with darkness did not seem like a smart use of brain cells, but I trusted my sister. I lifted her small map to the flame, letting it churn and ripple into ash. I didn't want anyone else having the mobile navigation tool for the tunnels, no matter how poorly drawn it was. I smashed the torch into a far corner of the wall and waited as the flame flickered to nothing. It whined and thrashed as it was being smothered, but lost the battle in the end. My chest began to thunder as the walls closed in and the shadows crept closer to me. I hated how the torch cast swirling veins of darkness that quite possibly could have been creeping ghosts. I hated how that dark swallowed everything in its wake, leaving only me to shake in a room where no light had touched its walls for years. Though just like Sonara and Pax said would happen, a blue hue ignited in the tunnel to my right. It was faint and probing, but its clandestine nature was there. I half expected the ghost of future's past to pop out and delight me with a harrowing tale. But the only thing alive or dead in these tunnels were rats, thankfully. As I crept through the blue lit hall, I thought of Tikra prowling the jungle above. Perhaps when I challenged Wes and got my home back, I could bring Tikra into Hajir and show her the view of her mystical hunting grounds from high above the soil. And maybe if my people would want me to lead them, if I was worthy enough to do so, maybe I could get a second spear, like the dual spears my father used to wield. Tikra's pride would be its name. I could already see it. The wind grew warmer as I crept down the tunnel, the blue hue becoming roving lines on the walls and ceiling. Place the keystone on the dead end, my sister had instructed. That end was approaching, an enclosing pillar of rock. I could have come in through the tunnels outside of Jir, but I didn't think Jazara would have missed me walking through the falls on two feet and not in a deadly state of pain and anguish, and I needed to be as covert as possible. I roved the keystones across the wall. Finally, after the first few frustrating attempts, the insignia glowed golden, and just like in Carlo's room, the door squeaked and popped inward, gliding along its tracks to unveil a cave with glittering blue water. My heart had torn open when I saw Carlo in his room. He had ran to me. He had run to me, checking my face and side to make sure I was not going to die right then and there. I assured him the amount of painkillers and adrenaline running through my veins would keep me upright for a long while. He politely disagreed with my plan and did not balk at telling me so. Oh, he pointedly disagreed with my plan and did not balk at telling me so. I sat him down and began to explain, wincing as tears replaced the joy in his eyes. Lane had been alive all that time, but not anymore. I looked over the glittering water and the arced wall of the cave. This was it. This was where I was to meet Asira and begin the journey to end the League's hold over my home, to bring back our legacy and crush theirs. 
I shifted into the shadows just in case an unfriendly face happened to pop out of the barrier, hiding the dirt tunnel beyond. Keeping my eyes on the water to focus on the light in the cave, I blocked out the shadows and the curling inky dark. I wished A.M. was beside me, gleaming and humming as he readied for a fight. The shadows would not have been so stark then. I wished I was looking at his bright smile that rippled his skin instead of a warped wall that stunk of rotted seaweed. He had looked so scared in the medical room, utterly frozen in terror and anger. I wished I had talked to him afterwards to reassure him I would be okay, that we together would be okay. My mouth went a little dry. I wanted to tell him everything. How the little freckle that swerved when he beamed at me made my chest heat. How his little quips and the way he made everyone laugh and smile when he spoke made me rethink how dark our world could be. I wanted to say that even though we had killed, even though he had, he was still the same loving Ann, the same Ann who would fight tooth and nail to do what was right, to save his people and family. A sigh blasted through me. I wanted to tell him that I loved him, yet I didn't get the chance to say any of it, but I would. We had to finish the fight before we got to indulge in such splendors, but I would tell him because I had never let myself want him, never let myself think that I could deserve him. And maybe it was selfish. Maybe I wasn't worth his light, but I wanted him, wanted his touch and laugh and essence. I loved him and damn it all to hell itself. I wanted to feel as happy and free as I felt when I was near him. I slunk further into the shadows, thrumming with anticipation and waited for the baggy old crone to fetch me. Chapter 43, Sonara. She'll be fine, Carlos said as he leaned against his bed. His eyes were red and puffy from sorrow, Lane's memory still fresh in the air. Sonara shifted where she stood, rubbing a hand along Neith's leather gauntlet. Ravenna will always say she is okay, Sonara whispered. But that doesn't mean she is. A sort of stillness hung in the air, a storm brewing. She began to fuss with the, blind, with the bindings on the gauntlet. What is it? Carlo asked. Something doesn't feel right. It's ahead was quiet. It was not the way it should have been with Sora finding a treasure and dispatching back to his homeland. It had been a buzz when he first arrived. It was too quiet as if the jungle itself was unaware of what was to come. Boots clomped outside Carlo's barrack, and a half-glance had Sonara sing cook in the doorway. Her hair was a mess, more so than its usual frizziness tendencies. What? she asked. Story needs to see you, Cook said. She was helping me in the kitchens when her little brain went ticking. All she said was get Sonara and tell her to go to Amaluli. Tell her she found something about the Rose of the League. Have you seen Greer? Sonara asked immediately as she stood and prodded towards the door in the inner stairwell. Go and tell her what you told me. Tell her to come here and guard. This door must hold no matter what. 
Cook began stalking towards, oh, Sonara began stalking towards Amalui's quarters. And Cook, be discreet. The League can't know a thing. She had to walk slow, calm, not to cause ripples in the fine fabric of gossip that was strung around Itahad like a spider's web. The entrance to the ladies' barrack was void of life. Hopefully that meant Chizara was rounding up everyone to prepare for his son's departure. That was what Paxton and Laith were supposed to be coaxing along, anyhow. Amaluli was the only one to get her own barrack. Granted, it was smaller than the rest. Soothsayer chic was how Ravenna described it. And based on the flowing purple and red fabrics that adorned the walls and large bed, and the multitude of books neatly stacked onto the carved-in bookshelves, with long bookmarks of gold-spun fringe, Ravenna was not far off. Sonara knocked twice on the ancient-looking door. A meditation room was what, it, was what it once was, for those who needed to pray while training in Hajir's heart. Abasi had built it from a broom cupboard, expanded the room, and set mats for those in Itahad who needed such things. Sonara never did, nor Ravenna. Obasi made it so anyone could believe what they wanted, could live in peace with any religion. Why don't you believe in the gods like he did? Sonara had asked her sister a while back. If the gods were real, then why did they let so many who loved, who loved them die? My parents kneeled to them, loved and cherished them. Yet the gods did nothing to stop their deaths. Ravenna had said, I believe they're up there, Sonara. I believe they're watching, but I don't believe they wish to help us. Sonara didn't know what she believed. A moment later, the door flung open. Her hands reached, hands reached out and pulled her in. One blink, in one blink, Sonara was in a fur, in one blink, Sonara was knee-deep in sage-scented smoke and lush purple fabric. Soothsayer chic, indeed. Story stood in front of Sonara, her large hazel eyes blinking. It's Roshin, she said. Cook told me, Sonara mused as Story pulled her further into her grandmother's room and popped Sonara on a small footrest. Amaluli had her back to her and was humming something in the corner. There is one last story I need to tell you, she hummed, stirring a kettle that smelled of elderberry and orange. Story pulled up another ottoman, sitting cross-legged opposite Sonara. I was fishing through the library yesterday and found something. It was hidden inside a bookshelf. Inside it, she said with excitement. Sonara thought perhaps she and Story had watched one too many old spy movies. Wait, Sonara cut in. Why didn't you tell Ravenna when you were tending to her? Amaluli waddled over from the corner. The scent of orange struck Sonara dead as Amaluli handed her a cup of tea. As much as I'd love your sister, Sonara, Ravenna is not as patient as you are. She would have told me to move past the fruff-fruff and get to the important details, Amaluli started, stated. And I'm guessing you would have swatted her in the with 
and I'm guessing you would have swatted her in the head with a book for it, Sonara mumbled, taking small sips of the hot tea. Yeah, but then she would have taken it back and winked at me afterwards. It's a little unnerving how she does that all the time. Ama Lily leans back in her rocking chair. I could skip the details, but this is a story that must be told like a legend for the true meaning to take its course. Ravenna would have said you like being overdramatic. And that is exactly why I'm telling you, said Ama Lily, spreading her arms out in front of her, waving them in the air as if she was about to cast a spell. You already, you already know that Roshin was on our side, and so does your sister. You both also know that she and Neith hid something and took great care to keep it from the League. But what you do not know is why. She took a sip of her own steaming tea, chapping her lips together to savor the taste. Ravenna will be the Nox who will keep, who, who will fight and get it to head back. But you will be the Nox to keep relations strong once our home is in our hands again. Obasi saw it in you, as he saw Ravenna's fierce warrior spirit. Ravenna will lead, and you will be by her side, sisters in arms, braving the world together. But your sister is a hothead, Sonara, Amalili went on, and her temper could get her into some trouble. That's why she needs you, so she can always remember whom the moon is to her storm. Sonara took too big of a gulp of the aromic and citrus concoction and coughed. I don't think that's how that saying goes. Amalili humped, shaking back her head. What braves through all storms, child? The moon is the light that you can see even in the darkest of nights. Cryptic and all-knowing as ever. You've heard of Meridian Throne, I take it? They all had. It was hard not to when every League soldier sang her praise. Meridian bested the odds. Meridian just, bet her, just beat her superiors. Meridian is Legatus. Meridian will be heir. Every time she heard that name, she wanted to ask, if Meridian is so great, then why can't she beat back her father and be a decent person? Meridian has a moon to her storm too, Amalili continued and a shadow that covers it. She's not that different from Roshin, so I've heard. And how have you heard? And how have you heard? Story asked. I have my sources. Meridian has surrounded herself with those she loves, surrounded herself with many moons to guide her. But Roshin is her shadow, a past that she wants so desperately to learn from. You and Ravenna are not the only ones who wish to reignite a legacy. Sonara frowned. The daughter of Wes, the heir to the League itself, wanted to help them? That didn't seem right. But who was she to judge? Talon had helped them. Maybe this Meridian would too. Why would she want to help? Roshin did, but so what? Why did she care? Sonara asked. Ama Luli's hazel eyes narrowed. Helping was not Roshin's legacy child. Not in the slightest. This is the story of why, so no more interrupting. 
Sonara gave her an apologetic smile. Though they would have you believe it, the League was not always callous and consuming. For a long while, they were like us, protectors to the world without killing or control, observers that helped when they needed to. But then Cato Throne decided he wanted to change that. Sonara nodded. She had heard this story before. There was a fire, many people died, and Paxton's great-grandfather got killed, and the rest of the Alicias were banished, said Sonara. Amalili frowned at her again, and she winced for interrupting. Yes, Amalili said flatly. As you know, Corin Throne continued to rule the way his father Cato had, and bred that violence into the League itself. Roshin Throne was sent as a consultant to Itahad, meant to barter and keep the peace. She came many times, and so did Asira, whom I was told had little had a little rendezvous with Ravenna earlier. Sonara nodded at that. Being the eldest, Adessa was tasked to be Itahad's liaison for peacekeeping. Roshin and Adessa got on crate. They were, Amalili paused, sorrow filling her smile. They were good friends, and so were Adessa and Wes. Yes, Wes and Adessa had been together before that dreadful day. Had Adessa loved him, only to learn she bedded a monster? Itahad and the League were partners, though Obasi disgraced though despot Obasi disagreed with the way Corin chose to use power. It was only when Roshin showed up many years ago where we got a taste of the type of league Corin and West wanted to pursue. Sonara knew very well what she meant. Chazara made sure of that every single day. Roshin didn't just want to help us, Sonara. She wanted to dismantle the league and build it back up in the image of the Elysia's ruling, as peacekeepers, not tyrants. Sonara shook her head. I don't understand. How were they able to do it? Story leaned in as if she was waiting to ask the same. Amalili sighed. When the world doesn't know you exist, child, it can't stop you from conquering it. The League thinks Roshin died because of something we were trying to hide. She sucked in a deep breath. The Rose of the League died trying to tear her father's dreams apart. What is on that disc is the only thing keeping Wes from being the puppet master to the whole world. Amalili clicked her tongue, sage smoke wafting in front of her face. I never learned what was on it. No one expect, except Roshin had. But I knew that it is a tool, but I know that it is a tool to conquer. West has Itahad in its clutches. He has the Russian mob in his snares too. Whatever is on that disc can capture the rest. Sonara let the words settle over her to control the world, to pull the strings of criminal organizations. They would be an invincible force and it could decimate whoever stood in its path. Cook said something about a Chinese triad when I asked her about Liliana, Sonar said. Indeed, Amalubi whispered. 
Sonara knew there was more, something hidden behind those all-knowing eyes. But if she wasn't going to outright say it, then Sonara would not press her. She turned to Story and asked, is that what the book you found said? It was Roshin's journal, Story went on, or said, it says everything. Story handed Sonara the brown leather book at her side, its edges worn and dust festered. Ravenna needed to see this. You said Meridian Throne was like Roshin. She wants to tear down her father, her home? Amaluli only nodded, and only one question still clung to Sonara's mind. Why? Then another popped in. What about Elijah? She asked. There had been story, stories of him too. Don't trust that worn one, Amaluli warned. What about the scrawny one, Rowan? Asked Story. Amaluli waved her hand. He's harmless as you. He's as harmless as you. Sonara scratched her temple. How do you know all this, and why are you telling me now? Amaluli sighed, setting down her mug. Because now it needs to be told. But Adessa, my child, Adessa knows her children better than anyone. She knows who to trust, who to lead, who can lead, and who should. Sonara shook her head. Adessa thought Meridian would be good for the League, for Itahad, but that went against the gossip surrounding the air. What am I supposed to do with this information? She asked. Ravenna is in the tunnels going after Asira as we speak, going after Wes. You have to go get her, Amalulu stuttered. Don't let her go with Asira. Sonara stumbled back. Why? I thought you said she would be the one to fight. Because if she challenges Wes, she will die. She will fight for our home eventually, but not in that way. Amalulu shook her head again. There is no one but Meridian who has shown any promise of beating Wes. The old woman rattled Sonar's arms. Meridian has trained since birth to be a death machine. Ravenna has not. She will die, Sonara, and we will all be lost. Story shot out of her seat as Amalulu began pushing Sonara towards the door. Get your sister. Get out. I don't do not let her leave and do not get caught. For a plump old lady, Amaluli was not feeble by any means. I know Asyra is trying to right wrongs, but Ravenna challenging Wes isn't the way to do it. And with that, Amaluli flung open her door and shoved Sonara across the threshold. Story barely stumbling out before her grandmother stared them down and chewed them off. I think Ravenna's right, Story whispered. Amaluli has a flair for the dramatics. Sonara sighed, dazed and confused as she watched Amma's door shut. Yes, that was something, but that doesn't mean she's wrong. Come on, let's go get her. Get who? asked a slithering male voice. Sonara froze. 
She knew that voice before she saw him. But as she turned to face him, her whole body clamped up. Sora Khan stood clad in armor, smirking down at them. Chapter 44, Kara. Meridian was laughing. Next to her, Chloe and Sarah were squabbling about something, but Kara couldn't hear them. She was too focused on the way Meridian's eyes glowed when she smiled. Just say something, Sika whispered to Kara's left, his eyes locked on Sarah as she gasped and then doubled over in laughter. I tell myself to say something every day. Just tell her, smile and laugh when she speaks, but I can't. Yeah, you're you, Kara told him. Sika frowned and said, so? So, you dodge feelings as if they're knives that can impale you. And do not, do too. Meridian and Sarah laughed again, earning a scowl and an eye roll from Chloe. Meridian's eyes locked onto Kara, and all she could do was look back. She wasn't even sure if she was breathing. Sika chuckled. You're no better, he said. And then the sky darkened, the grass curling. Meridian's eyes went wide, and no more laughter pierced the air. Kara woke up abruptly, rubbing her face with her clammy hands. That was a weird dream, but it was just a dream. Though not all of it, parts were a memory from long ago, from a time where innocence still swept their minds. Kara stretched her limbs out. She must have fallen asleep while studying. After Meridian had fought Gisette, they went their separate ways for the day, and it was raining now. Cold. Water pelted her window outside and made the air around it ch a chilling bite. Kara could only see half of the bridge through the thick layer of fog, and when she opened her window to let the fresh air swarm her, the mist collided into the corners of her room. She had never minded the cold, unlike Meridian, who was always wrapped in a blanket after blanket in the mornings. Picking up the history book forgotten on her table, Kara read over the scribbles on the page. Every child born to the League knows it as home. They know the name, but not all, but not all understand the meaning. But those who choose to join do. Arce and Maneri are the castles within but the place itself is called Salus. Translation, salvation. Why that was necessary to scribble down when she was half asleep, Kara could not remember. As she tossed the book onto her dusty shelf, she heard a knock at the door. Come in, she whispered, pulling her sweater around her. Meridian popped her head into her room, smiling the same smile that always sent butterflies through Kara's stomach. The air was holding something behind her back. Hopefully another jar of ice cream, though not likely since the last time Hattie got mad at them for pilfering her stock. Those brilliant eyes found Kara, Kara's, and she found herself wondering how, through all Meridian had seen and done, her eyes remained warm, even if worry lay beneath. So how are you? Meridian asked. Good, what are you up to? said Kara ominously. 
Meridian walked across the room to join Kara on her bed. Happy birthday, Meridian yelled, bringing out a little box from behind her back. I was going to give it to you sooner, but you had a match with, Gis with Gisette, I know, Kara said, scrunching her brow. Some part of her wanted to just forget she was turning 18. We're not supposed to give gifts. If it were anyone else, I wouldn't, but it's you, said Meridian. Kara chuckled. Yeah, don't let Sarah or Chloe hear that. Meridian rolled her eyes. Oh, I'll let Chloe know. Last year she gave me a snow globe just to piss me off. It was an odd fear, but she knew Meridian hated the things. Well, you two weren't friends then, she said. Yeah, and just because we are now doesn't mean I can't piss her off every once in a while. Meridian barred her teeth in a wide grin. Then she gestured to the box. Open it. Kara tugged at the ribbons, the ends falling across her lap like feathers. She opened the lid carefully, like the moment might break if she wasn't gentle. Inside sat a brass pendant of a moon, shiny but dulled down to where it looked older than it actually was. She was rubbing her thumb over its bumpy edges. Kara had no words. Meridian pulled back her long wavy hair, an identical chain with a pendant of a sun graced the spot just below her collarbone. I, you, you remembered. The words barely, were, were barely a whisper. When Kara was little, she used to want to escape Salas and go to the moon. She called the league the sun and wanted to leave so she wouldn't burn. Her mother had caught her attempting to leave and said, the moon is a sacred place and the sun protects it. Little Kara, you are trying to escape the sun, but you cannot have one without the other. Kara told Meridian that story when they both understood what the league was turning them into, monsters. Yeah, Meridian said, it's like you said, you cannot have one without the other. Kara leaned in and tucked a piece of Meridian's hair behind her ear, the strand tickling her nerves. She could feel Meridian's breath on her cheek, warm radiating in the scent of pine frosted over. There, she stumbled as Meridian bit her lower lip. Then a knock came at the door. They both jumped away from each other as Kara's mother, Kathleen Catherine Larea appeared in the doorway. She scowled. Her mother always had impeccable timing. Sorry, girls, Meridian, your father wants you, her mother said. But, Kara stammered, don't argue with Wes. A warning lit up her regal blue eyes. Sorry, Meridian, your father asked for you. Meridian took a deep breath, probably counting in her head. She nodded to Catherine and squeezed Kara's hand one last time. The heir's eyes lingering as she walked out the door. Kara wanted nothing more than to pull her back, push her mother out and fall back into the previous moment, but she couldn't. Meridian was gone and off to see her tyrant of a father. Catherine looked a lot like Kara, though their royal blue eyes were so big and took to, took up too much space. Their light brown hair confused about whether it wanted to be blonde or brown, 
so settled for streaks of both. Freckles also dotted her mother's nose, matching Kara's. Birth sprinkles, Meridian had called them. So that looked like it was going somewhere. Catherine smirked as she leaned up against the door. Mom! Catherine raised her hand. Can you do me a favor, Kara dear? Kara rolled her eyes. Her mother only called her Kara dear when she wanted her way. She used to say it when her parents were fighting. A distraction so Kara wouldn't hear what they were arguing about. Yes, darling mother, even though it's my birthday, she said. Catherine's smile rose. The shipment of food just came in. Can you get our supply? Talk to Hattie to see if she can give you something extra for your birthday. Her voice was sweet and short. She seemed to be trying too hard to sound relaxed. But Kara knew better than to ask. Her mother would tell her in time. Yeah, yeah, okay, she said, getting up hesitantly and looking out her window at the rain-soaked earth. She slowly yanked on her boots, not bothering with the laces. She waited at the door for her mother to say something else, to tell her what was going on. Kara was always waiting, always. Her mother remained quiet, so Kara walked out of the house and made her way towards the kitchen and ours. Safe. Chapter 45. Sonara. Sora took a step back, darting his head to and fro. Going anywhere in particular, he crooned. It was a trap, and there was nowhere to run. No, Sora. Sonara straightened her back. You got what you want. We have nothing more. She pulled Story and herself past him. Her hands were locking up, her heart beating rapidly but she kept moving. Now was not the time to drown in fear. Stop, little Sonara Knox, he hissed, cutting them off. He was trying to keep them there. You remember the letter I showed Ravenna, he continued. Sonara tried to keep walking. She tried to shut him out, tried, and kept moving. The letter was from Odessa. Story and Sonara both halted her chest locking up tight. Odessa sent it. That meant she was planning against Wes, which meant, oh no. She spun on her heels. What are you doing here? She yelled. I came for this. He took the drive from his pocket and rubbed it in between his fingers. And to find out the truth. He grinned, wide and wicked at, and heart-stopping. The letter did not just say things about a plan and a drive, like what I told Ravenna. It said that she is not right, is not the right one to challenge. It asked A.E., whoever that may be, to get Meridian. Everything in Sonara locked up. Who would that she be, Sonara? Sora asked innocently. This was not to keep them here. It was to distract them. Sora got the drive, at least what he thought was the drive. Now he wanted to stamp down a rebellion before it began. No, Asira was not coming to get Ravenna. She was not going to bring her to Wes. 
if what this letter said was true, she would be going to Edessa, to Meridian, and leave them all here to fend for themselves. Sora was just an elegantly placed distraction. Ayen would be watching Story and her to make sure that they were okay, since Greyer had gone to protect the tunnels. Paxton and Laith were with Talon trying to ensure Sora left, which was not going well by the look of it. Greyer and Carlo were Ravenna's only defense. And with everyone else distracted, who was watching the tunnel entrance outside the falls that led straight to the river cave where Ravenna would be waiting for someone who would not come? Sonara's heart began to sunder. They were doomed, and her sister, she was already hurt. She was high on adrenaline, but hurt. What would happen if they got to her? Sonara's air supply began to run low as she panted. Amaluli had been right. Sonara stamped down the waves that crashed against her. At least, if Sora was with them, he couldn't get to Ravenna. Sonara could protect her sister on that front. She too could be the distraction. So Sonara stood up straighter, ready to fight her fear. Chapter 46, Ravenna. The hair on my arms were raised, goosebumps perky and lined in a row. I didn't know if it was because of the river or the dirt on the rock that surrounded me. But it was so much colder than the beautiful jungle a mere steps away. I had been waiting and waiting and finally decided that when, when Asira showed up, I would have to control myself enough to not immediately bash her head into the wall for being so late. This is the only way, Asira had said. If it was the only way, and if they and if we had planned it out to perfection, then why wasn't she here? I tapped my finger against the shaft of Leopard's Bane. I was getting to the point where I tried to find shapes in the stone. A bunny, a fawn, maybe a Cyrus face if she got if she had bushy ears. I hated waiting. We had been waiting for so many years, and I was done with it. This was our chance. I knew it, could feel it in the way my chest thrummed like a thousand fireflies. The adrenaline, the anticipation, I felt it. Footsteps wrapped dirt and stone. The sound made my jaw clench. If we got out of this in one piece, I was going to have to teach that poorly timed, iced over headache of a woman how to be quiet when moving across stone. Knees begging for reprieve, I stood from my crouch. The footsteps grew louder. I am a shadow, Knox. You will never see me coming. I remembered Osiris saying, and stilled. She was a shadow, loud only when she chose to. Why would she have chosen to make a sound now? I adjusted Leopard's Bane, priming my body for a strike. A second pair of feet sounded somewhere far away, as if they were an echo. Something wasn't right. Something felt fuzzy around the edges. I swayed on my feet, squinting at the stone in front of me. It was blurred, the jagged structure marred, 
What was going on? Footfalls echoed from all sides, the sound making my throat tighten and my palms shake. A scratching sound that made my ears bleed had me spinning, almost falling onto the floor as my body stopped, but the world kept moving. I turned my head to the river and gulped down tangy bile. A shadow blocked some of the river's blue tint, a massive body crawling into my hideaway. A bitter taste of iron and mineral filled my mouth. The shadow in front of me grew, creeping in like a veil of black ink. I stumbled back, coughing as pain soared over my head, searing my body into place. I gasped and curled inward, but didn't feel the heat of blood on my scalp. What the hell was going on? My side screamed as I turned towards the river. Maybe the adrenaline was wearing off. Maybe my bandages had torn and this was me hallucinating because of the blood loss. Ravenna, a muffled voice said. It sounded as if it was underwater. My head reeled back as another gut-wrenching zing flew across my scalp. Everything pounded as if my head had taken over my being and the whole of me was pumping to its rhythm. No, 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 I mumbled. My feet lost purpose as I careened backwards. The shadows in the corner crept in, veiling everything in a foggy hue. The darkness was spreading. Ravenna, the voice said again. It was male, but not, ancient and filled with malice. I lifted my head, my heavy head, gagging on an astringent tang coating my, my lips. I blinked, because what I was saying couldn't have been true. I must have been hallucinating, or dead, or insane, possibly all of the above. It was Asira. She was grinning down at me, wearing a smile that had never touched her face, but one I had seen grace others. Ravenna, Asira said, only it wasn't Asira who spoke. Something was really, really wrong. I violently shook my head, my tangled braid slapping my neck as I coughed and breathed. The shadows in the corner took form. They twisted and broke from the stone, morphing into mangled bodies of nightmare. It had to be a nightmare. I had to be asleep because faces began to take shape on those black clouded bodies. Faces I had seen over and over in my dreams of those who perish in a fire. Ravenna, one of the creatures said as it pulled itself away from the wall. It crept closer like a broken and limping spider. Ravenna, it hissed, and it was my father's voice, my father's face, though shrouded in darkness and as black as night. Its eyes were his, golden and beautiful and fearless. I shook, every nerve trembling. The mountain of a person in front of me, Asira, began to laugh with a voice and a smile not her own. My stomach churned and twisted. I had never known death's call, but now, Vomiting into the river, slick and pasty with sweat, I felt like death incarnate. Ravenna, both Asira and my father hissed, you failed your people. You let them die. You are nothing, will always be nothing. I heaved again, the dried skin under my bandage ripping and leaking warm ooze onto my torso. I shook, or maybe I didn't. 
but I felt as every cell in my body was undergoing a traumatic earthquake that would surely rupture my infrastructure. I gagged again as musty dirt shoved into my nose. I am ashamed, my father said. I am ashamed that all it had left is you. I bent over the river and vomited up everything I had eaten that day. It was a nightmare. I would wake up and be on a plane to Europe with an annoying, overconfident hag as a pilot. It had to be a nightmare. I whispered to myself. I whispered to myself, I am dreaming. This isn't real. I am safe. Do you want to know I am afraid of the dark? I see ghosts. The ghosts of those that have died. The eyes we saw go out in a blaze of fire. I had said that night in the jungle, some ghosts you can take with you, Ravenna. Some ghosts remind you of where you have been and of the silent vows you have made in their departure. A.N. said right back. A.N. was right. Some ghosts we could take with us, but this was too much. Too many faces, too many shadows, and too many ghosts. The shadow monster crept closer, one holding the face of my mother, one bearing Lane's soft smile. So many faces, so many shadows, so many dead. The room grew darker and darker until only a pinhole of light outlined the vulgar creatures and their shining eyes, the only color on their being. And then everything went black. Get up, someone whispered. Get her up, another voice said, though the words were mere ripples in the river. Ravenna, someone yelled, but the yell was muted, far away. Ravenna! It grew louder, the shouting, yelling, so many voices in an uproar. Ravenna! I knew that voice. Get her up! A stern command was shouted, clearer than before. I knew that cadence, too. Don't touch her, a familiar voice said, the same one which had called my name. My body ached, throttled in pain and drowned in weight, but I shifted and opened my eyes. Light streamed into the darkness, and a face came out of the shadows. It was Paxton. He was pushing and pulling against restraints. No, not restraints, hands. Pax was being pressed into the floor, his cheek cut and bloody. Looking up, I found Jazara staring down at me, a mountain of grinning malice. That was the smile I had seen on Osiris' face. It had been a dream, all of it, and yet I was not safe, not at all. I winced as I touched the back of my head, finding specks of blood as I drew my hand away. Osiris had not been here, had never been here. The shadow creatures had not been real. What did you do to her? Paxton roared. Drazara turned to face him. Aspen knocked her over the head. And since we know how slippery she can be, we drugged her for good measure. I blinked. Pax's lips were moving, but I couldn't hear the response. Words were replaced with a faint buzzing. It looked like he was telling Jazara to go duck himself and duck on Aspen, but that didn't make sense. I rubbed my head. A lot of things didn't make sense. How had things gone so wrong? I shook out my hands, my limbs like stone, and tried to sit up, to move, 
but just ended up flopping about. If A.N. could see me, he would call me a fish out of water. If A.N. was here, maybe he would be throttling Jazara and Aspen and calling them a duck too. Where was he? Sonara, A.N., where were they? I twisted around, gasping a spire shot over my torso. The painkillers had worn off. Sonara, I mumbled and hoped Paxton could hear me. Sonara, A.N., I said again before the word the world angled sideways and everything swept into shadow once more. Chapter 47, Kara. It had been raining since sunup, so the ground was more slosh than solid and the sky was a milky gray. Before Kara stepped onto the muddy earth, she decided to tuck her laces into her shoes so they wouldn't drag. She didn't particularly care if they got muddy, but Sarah would whack her over the head with her boot if she saw them dirty. The tech whiz had helped design them, and she took special care to ensure they remained in the best possible condition. Bloody hell, how many times have I said we need to replace this muck with pebbles or stone, yelled Mr. Henry, a weathered looking man with sharp pair of glasses. He was a teacher, mainly reprimanding the smallest children when they drooled on their pencils. He forced his voice and bushy brows to face the watchtower, cursing at the guards once more. Kara had to give him credit. For such a measly man, he could sure come up with some colorful cusses. There were four watchtowers in Salis, one right above the main door and one at the back behind the church. The highest towers were on either side of the connecting bridge, cascading up in the gloomy sky. You know they can't hear you up there, sir, Kara called to him. That doesn't mean I can't yell for the sake of it. He blew out a frustrated breath. Happy birthday, by the way. He said it more out of obligation than anything. Yeah, happy birthday, Kara, a voice yelled from above. And Mr. Henry, don't worry. Just because they can't hear you doesn't mean we don't know what you're saying. Kara could just imagine the wink that likely followed Daisy's sentence. Chloe and Daisy were a story above, leaning up against the stone railing. Daisy's blunt blonde hair shimmered in the cold breeze and Chloe's frizzed, lock, frizzed locks were shoved into a tight bun. Actually, Sarah has been working on something to fix the mud problem, said Chloe. That's what all the noises on the top floor have been about, continued Daisy. And we heard you're complaining about the noise too, Mr. Henry. He glared up at Daisy as she chuckled. He wasn't much for jokes or anything that was not about the prestige of the league's accomplishments. A high-pitched screech rumbled through the air and ricocheted. Everyone stopped and looked up. Above, two large glass panels were funneling together from each castle roof, connecting with each other in the middle like a rain cover to a stadium. It's about time you got a roof. Mr. Henry stared at the sky, still frowning, even though his voice was filled with more favor. When he was satisfied with his glowering, the professor picked up his bag of books 
and waddled into the castle. Suddenly, someone flew across the zip line above, too fast to be able to see. Then a familiar form with a braided ponytail landed on the floor next to Daisy with Grace. The three looked stoic in their armor. He's a cheery fellow, Mr. Henry, said Meridian as her eyes followed the professor until he was out of view. Oh, and great, now it feels like we're in a snow globe. The air grumbled as she joined the others leaning up against the railing. Or a greenhouse. Yeah, Daisy, except we're not growing plants, retorted Meridian. No, Kara said loud enough for her friends to hear. We're growing killers. Faces dropped as they looked down at her, all their eyes filled with ghosts of their past. This somehow comforted her. She wasn't the only one that disagreed with what the League did, but she may be the only one who wanted to admit it. Rain began to pitter-patter against the new glass roof, and even though the dome was closed, the air felt damp, like the wind was angry its wet sister couldn't join it on its ride. I have to go see my mum, Meridian said as she stared with concern at the roof. Happy birthday, Kara. Meridian's eyes passed over Kara's and stayed there for far too long. With a small smile, the air disappeared up the stairs and deeper into the castle. Kara's eyes followed her as she went, watching her even when she was out of view. And my mom will be wondering what took so long. I have to go get our food from Hattie. They all nodded a goodbye before Kara peeled back the sliding glass door into Arce and walked into the first floor. There wasn't much on the first floor of Arce. There was the kitchen adjacent to the dining hall, also the weapons hall and the tech lab. But all the training and teaching rooms were up on the higher floors. Kara made her way towards the kitchen. As she got closer, the smell of sweetbread hit her like a stack of books. Her stomach grumbled. She loved sweetbread. Since when do you make dessert? Kara asked as she stumbled into the kitchen. I make it all the time. Hattie said judgingly. Besides, besides Odessa, Berlin Waters, and Kara's mother, Hattie was the only adult in the league that wasn't that seemed warm-hearted. Most of the adults were serious, years in service to the league shaving away pieces of them. Kara just hoped Meridian was like her mother in the sense that she could keep the good inside her, even when she was surrounded by so much bad, so many thorns. Elijah seemed like he couldn't, but Meridian was stronger than that. Hattie was plump, the only member of the League that had no rank, for she had no weapons training. She was bred to be a cook, as was her mother, and she didn't mind it one bit. She had an abundance of curly, reddish-brown hair that was always tied into a loose bun. Her deep brown eyes were kind, and when she smiled, her face lit up and turned as rosy as her apron. So how is it being a year older, that is? Hattie asked, a spot of flour tickling her nose. Doesn't seem much different than it did yesterday, Kara said, sitting on a stool arranged around the wood island Hattie used as a cutting board, brushing some flour off the seat. 
To her left sat a bowl of freshly washed grapes. Her mouth foamed an O in delight and gobbled one up. The second she swallowed, Hattie swatted her hand. Hey, Kara sputtered. Those are for dinner. Don't be getting your grimy hands all over them. Sorry, Hattie. We never get grapes because Sora banned them after Meridian used them as ammunition for the dart sticks. Hattie let out a heaving sigh. That was hilarious. Damn so she's got what they deserved. She was pelting them in the jugular with grapes from atop the watchtower. And it was during their training session in the courtyard where they were all moving fast and all. That girl's got aim. Poor little thing got a right awful beating for it, though. Their faces grew somber. Kara remembered Meridian walking funny for a week after the whipping. That day, we all learned practical jokes were not in the league's vocabulary. Kara popped another grape into her mouth. That's the day your generation learned that. Everyone else knew for a while. The cook shook her head like a wet dog. Here, hun, i I'm sure you're here for your ration. Kara watched her wobble off to the back pantry and moments later came out with a barrel of Kara's rations. During the day, there was breakfast, lunch, and dinner, all made by Hattie and her staff, but each family got a certain amount of food in case they skipped a meal or needed a snack, often both. And here. From the corner, Hattie grappled with a box, setting it in Kara's hands. For your birthday. As Kara lifted the lid, she got washed in the cinnamon sweet smell. Inside sat a small roll of sweetbread. Thank you, she whispered, her mouth already watering. Meandering back to her house, she stopped every once in a while to nibble on the sweetbread. Her door was ajar when she got back, which was odd because Kara was sure she closed it. Kicking it open, she set the barrel of wood on the floor. She set the barrel on the wood floor. Okay, Mom, here's the barrel. Where should I put it? Catherine came running through the house towards her, frantic, her skin leached of its color. We have to go, she bellowed. Kara stumbled over words as she tried to slow her mother down, but she couldn't stop the woman from running across the house, gathering items and tossing them into a bag. Clothes from the barrel, even a few pictures. Mom, calm down. What's going on? Catherine grabbed her daughter's hand hard, her blue eyes now a storm at Steve. See, your father, there's no time to explain. We have to go, and we have to go now. With that, Kara pulled open the door. With that, Kara was pulled out the door. Many questions on her tongue, but no time to ask. The box of sweet bread fell to the ground and rolled onto the carpet in a sad slump forgotten as the rain beat against the dome above, muting their hurried steps. Chapter 48, Sonara. Sora was in the way. He was blocking their path, their dash to safety. It's a shame, really, that Ravenna decided to betray us. She's a strong leader. She could have led your troops to greatness. Sora said, story, coming slightly out of her daze, mumbled, 
murder and tyranny are not great things. Sonara wanted to nod along with her, but she was focusing too much on her breathing to do much else. Sora, though, was not halfway frozen in fear and was perfectly free to do whatever he wanted with his face. He chose to snicker. You don't get to talk to me that way, little infidel. Kara thought back to everything Abasi had taught her about the delicacies of negotiation and peacekeeping. Keep them calm, keep them interested. Stand up straight, head held high. Know you own the room. Sonara checked her shoulders, attempting to roll confidence onto her face. You don't own us, Sora, she said. Sora was older, a right hand to a Rex, and honestly, he didn't care what people thought of the him. He wanted what he wanted, when he wanted, and let others deal with the consequences. But there was one thing that uprooted his calm. What would Roshin think? Sonara asked. Sora's jaw snapped shut, his body petrifying. You know nothing of her, of what she thought, of what she fought for. Oh, but Sonara did, perhaps more than Sora. You loved her. I loved her more than your puny heart could handle. And your family, your people took her from me. Sonara shook her head. They didn't. My rose, he began to mumble. What I do now is for her, because she would have been radiant, the greatest Rex. She never got to live her dreams. You didn't know her dreams, Sonara wanted to yell. Roshin was a rose, the sacred symbol to the League. There were too many meanings in that symbol. The evil inside the beauty, secrets hidden within, or the good encased in a cage of thorns. Which one Sora saw it as? Sonara didn't particularly want to know. Roshin would have been Rex. What would her reign have looked like if she hadn't died? Sonara pushed. For the first time, Sora blinked. Maybe he did know what Roshin really wanted. Maybe he put those dreams so far down just to avenge her. As if she could hear Obasi speak the words. Sonara stepped forward and said, Why do you follow Wes when his legacy is killing hers? Sora's muscles seemed to pulse. Perhaps she pushed him too far. Wes is my mate, my Rex. He helped me make me what I am. Sora flicked his sword around his palms, and I love what I am. His eyes danced. Do you? She asked solemnly. This was uncharted territory, and Sonara wasn't sure she should have should and Sonara wasn't sure she should even go there. You know nothing, he said, and it was the calm in his voice that had Sonara sh shrinking. Keep them calm. Sonara was not doing a very good job of that. I didn't know Roshin. Sonara tried again, but I do know Odessa. They were friends strong and caring if you loved someone like that someone who saw the beauty in the world then how can you see only darkness and dishonor what she believed sonar's throat bobbled it hurt 
more than she realized to talk about what she had lost. She had been so young, and even at, at that age, she loved her people, her family, with everything she had. And though biologically, Ravenna and Odessa were not Sonora's siblings, they were in every way that counted. She missed Odessa more than her chest could handle. Sonara thought she saw something flicker in Sora's pale green eyes. You don't owe Wes anything, she said. You know nothing of what I owe Wes, and you know nothing of Roisin. He was like a programmed drone, set to delete all information that didn't agree with him. How could he ignore it, all the bloodshed? Because he was a demon, a demon who lost his soul when the one he loved died. She had gauged him wrong, so wrong. Perhaps he didn't care for dishonoring Roisin's legacy if it meant avenging her death. Sonara was too busy mulling it over to see his sword, but Story did. She flung Sonara out of the way, grabbed one of her chakrams, and caught Sora's blade with it. The metal-on-metal metal clank bounced off the walls and made her teeth shudder. And you know nothing about the strength of Itahad, Story hissed at him. Sonara pushed her body off the stone that she had been thrown onto and raced towards the clashing of blades. Story's leg was bleeding, but she was still standing. Looking out her remaining chakram, Sonara planted herself at Story's side, a rush of adrenaline rushing through her and picking her up. They had been through so much together, lost so much together. If they fell now, they would do that together too. Oh, I'm going to love tearing you apart, Sora said. Sonara took a deep breath, calmed the waves, and charged. As soon as she was within striking distance and her blade was raised, Sora advanced. He moved like a shadow. They had been taught to defend themselves in the pits and sparring matches with Talon, but all of that was inconsequential to the skills Sora held. He was, a, he was born a warrior, melded to be one. Sonara knew they could not win. Her elbow crunched as she was thrown to the ground, pinpricks and tremors seeping into her arm. She looked in time to see Sora slam stories back into a wall. She gasped and landed with a thud. No, Sonara screamed. Usually I wouldn't bother with you little things, but you are really starting to piss me off. Skin scraped jagged edges as Sonara grappled with the wall to get herself to rise, but Sora was already there. Think of this the next time you want to play warrior. His laugh coated her face. It looked like he was going to say something else, but then his face stilled as if he was leaning in to listen. His demon-licked smile grew as his stare snapped back to Sonara. Looks like you're in like you are lucky today. Looks like I won't get to mar your pristine skin. Well, pristine except for this. He grazed a scarred finger along Sonara's cheek and forehead where her scar lay. Sonara reared upward, desperately trying to call, crawl away from his touch. But Sora was bigger, stronger. He chucked her. He chuckled as he held her wrists in a bone-crunching grip 
and pressed her body into the jagged wall. Sonara was frozen. She had tried to fight, but she was still frozen, falling, drowning, submerged. With one final shake of the head, Sora backed away, turned, and stalked towards the den. Sora had been one league soldier, and though Story and her were not well-trained, she thought, she didn't know what she thought, he could have killed them both within the first few seconds, but he toyed with them. If that was Wes's right hand, Sonara's nerves sundered to think what the wrecks of the League would be like on the battlefield. Sonara, an echo jolted her body just as an ache shot up, shot up her arm. Feet pounded over stone. She cradled her elbow, now lying on the ground, wincing as her fingers brushed over torn skin. She could flex the muscle, thankfully, so it wasn't broken. The stomping feet neared. Sonara rolled her shoulders and tried to stand. Whoever it was, she would fight, even if her body said no, even if her head was pounding. But before she could get up, someone was kneeling next to her, bracing her head as they pulled her away from the wall and into their arms. Sea salt coated Sonara's senses as her head brushed a hard chest covered in leather and soft cotton fabric. Paxton. Sonara leaned into his touch. What happened? Paxton asked as Sonara sat up. Are you okay? I'm okay. She touched his cheek. And then she remembered. Story. She clenched, she clenched her jaw as she rose, Paxton at her side to haul her up. Laith was with Story, checking her back and the cut on her leg. Hard anger curled in his eyes. She'll be fine, he muttered. She just got knocked around. His full brown eyes slid to Sonara, stone face and calculated. What happened? Sora, Sonara said, and Paxton's eyes grew wide. He, I don't know if it was the taunt or distract or both, but he cornered us and I tried to fight. We tried to fight. Where were you? You were supposed to be watching him. Guilt flashed in both their eyes. He left. It, it looked like he left. And then Jazara, Pax said. Greyer and Ravenna? Story groaned as she rose. Greyer is fine, Laith said, relief flooding his eyes for a moment before angry stone reappeared. And Ravenna? Sonara asked. Paxton grabbed Sonara's arm and slung it over his shoulder. Let's go to Carlo's barrack. There is something you need to know. Ravenna is fine. For now. Sonara nodded, letting Pax assist her at walking. She would crawl to that barrack if she needed to get to her sister. Laith picked up Story as if she was a mere feather and walked with them. Their eyes were solemn, clouded. Whatever had happened, whatever had gone wrong, it was worse than Sora's attack. Sonara sat on Carlo's bed a few minutes later, using Paxton's cotton shirt as a sling. He had kissed her forehead as she sat down. Pax's scent clung to the fabric, not wanting to leave. 
and Sonara didn't blame it. The shirt was still warm from his skin. It tingled everywhere it brushed her arm. Cook and Carlo sat at a small table with a forgotten chessboard between them, the former with her legs and arms crossed as Paxton and Leith began to explain. They had seen commotions stirring near the falls. Jazara, Aspen, and a few league grunts were huddled just before the watery entrance. Grayer, who stood a little too close to Leith to be casual, said, I knew something was wrong the moment Cook came to me. I told Leith to stay with Talon and keep watch, that I would sneak around to Jazara to see what they were mumbling about. Paxton swallowed. They already got to her before I could. Such dread and guilt disheveled his body. Leith and Grayer looked the same way, as if they had failed and doomed everyone. Sonara walked over to Paxton, her Pax, and looped his fingers through his. She lifted his chin, gently kissing his forehead as he rose to meet her stare. His eyes roamed to her arm, then back to her gaze. I should have been there. If Sora had, he chomped down on his inner lip as if it would help quench his anger. If he had, I know, Pax, I know, Sonara whispered back, placing her forehead onto his. He had always been there for her. If Ravenna was her booty, then Pax was her lifeguard. Sonara's grip tightened on his hand, and he rocked his head against hers. She could be the same for him. I couldn't even help Ravenna. I know we tease and act like, but she's, I couldn't stop them, he mumbled. Family, that was the word he stumbled over. What? An equally broken voice mused. Paxton and Leith jerked their heads up. Agen was shaking in the doorway. Where is she? Where is Ravenna? Paxton put up his hands, walking slowly to Ayen and clasping him on the shoulder. Ayen was fuming and shaky, as if he had lost a part of himself. I don't know how they knew, but they were ahead of us. Jazara and Aspen barged into the river cave where Ravenna was waiting. Ayen's face went pale, and Sonara was sure he looked this, was sure hers looked the same. The letter, Sonara wheezed, and then it all clicked. They knew because of that damn letter. She rested her palms on her face, shaking her head. They drugged her and knocked her out, Paxton said, and they took her to medical and barred everyone from entering. They had her. Sonara was supposed to help her sister to guard the tunnels, and now they had her. She lifted her head. Leith's face was a mask of white-hot anger that Grayer was not trying to hide as she clenched her fists and jaw. As for Ayen, he looked pissed and ready to fall apart all at once. Ravenna was their heart, their beating soul, and they had hurt her, drugged her, and shuttled her away. Sora bounded off soon after, Leith added in. There was a message sent out through their through the earpieces, 
I couldn't hear what was said. I was too far away from anyone's comms. But I ran to forget Paxton and found him running towards the barracks. And that's where we ran into you. So that's why Sora had stilled. Jazara must have told him they had Ravenna. Where is he now? Asked Greyer. Sonara was thankful she did because she couldn't feel her face and she wasn't sure if she would abide by her brain and she wasn't sure if words would abide by her brain and let her speak. Leith and Pax said nothing, the former's eyes staying on the knife cuddler. There was something different in the way Greyer stared back. They were friends, Sonara knew that. They bonded over weapons and how many push-ups one could do in a sitting. And yet, as their gazes deepened, there was something soft, intimate, in a way she had never seen either of them look. Sora went back to Salus, an old voice finally responded, and Sonara didn't need to look to know Amaluli was standing beside Ayen in the doorway. Clothing rumpled and then Cook, Cook was standing beside Sonara. Why did he leave so quickly? she asked. Sonara looked across the room where Story was now sitting upright. Their eyes latched. She breathed once, twice, and again. Story's face was grave. Sonara nodded to her, and Story began to explain. The letter Sora was talking about held more information than a plan and a drive. We didn't read it, but Sora said Ravenna was mentioned, and that it was sent from Odessa. The room went still. Cook and Carlo collapsed. The letter was treason. From all the stories they had heard, they knew West did not tolerate such things. Sonara tried to remember Odessa's face, her smile. She remembered the brightness in her golden brown eyes, the light that lit up her face when she uttered the words, my doves. She could remember some things, but her voice, some of the details in her laughs, those were muddy. It had been so long. Sonara racked her brain for memories because she knew, they all knew, the letter meant they were never going to see Odessa Knox again alive. Chapter 49, Ravenna. I awoke to murmurs. Shadow creatures had been prowling, calling me. You failed us, they said. You were meant to save us and you failed. I could still see their faces when I closed my eyes. Even when the light of day was speaking, was speckling the walls of Amalubi's medical room. I hope you weren't expecting a frenzy of clapping when you woke up, a high-pitched voice said. Because you're not going to get one, darling. I blinked, letting my eyes focus on the bright light. Always a joy, Aspen, to talk to you. I truly cherish it. She was lounging in a plush chair that must have been brought in from her room, looking very much like royalty. You know, Ravenna, I think you and I would have been friends if you weren't born, if you were born to the League and not. She let the last word hang in the air as she shot a snooty glare to the mountain that encased us. I groaned as I sat up. My body seemed to pulse, and the scratchy sheets weren't helping my comfort. 
Thankfully, whatever drug they gave me was no longer coursing through my blood, for my head, at least, was clear. You know what, Aspen? I would agree, I said. She, she tilted her head up in surprise. Except, you're a royal pompous bitch, and I really, really would rather see you fall from Hajir's spire than call you my friend. I let a pretty smile roll onto my face. Aspen just frowned. Oh, you are always such a joy, she chided. I rolled my eyes as I scanned the whole room. We were alone. Does Jazara want to play with his prized toy, or are you here to chew on me first? Slowly, Aspen got up and slunk over to my bed. You couldn't stand the way I play, she grinned. If you spent half as, half as much time trying to act like a human being that you do perming your teeth, you could actually be deemed worth playing with. I knew the type of play Aspen was referring to, and though she seemed to not care what lay between the person's legs, I did, and never wanted to know what was between Aspen's. I half expected a snake would be there instead, slithering and writhing like the rest of her. Where's your master? I asked, steering the subject away from whatever it was rearing towards. I'm sure you are satisfied enough trying to play with Sora all week to even consider stooping so low. Why don't you go get Jazara so we can have a grown-up conversation? Don't get me wrong, Ravenna. You're beautiful, but not something I would deem playworthy either. Aspen pranced back over to her seat, laying her legs across the armrest as she fiddled with one of her many rings on her fingers. And Jazara will be along shortly. No doubt he is deciding how worthy your life is. I leaned back. The metal bars of the bed frame poking my back and sending a chill down my spine. Oh, I'm sure you've already decided that for yourself, I said. Another flash of her gray eyes was her only response. Why are you even here? I asked, annoyed. Because, Ravenna dear, it's fun. Oh, you are trying... Or... You are trying to prove how strong the great Aspen Drake really is. The great Aspen Drake shucked her leg in front of her and glowered. You don't know what I'm capable of, nor do you want to. I nestled back against the bed. Go ahead, Aspen. Talk British to me. Her eyes narrowed, and I opened my mouth to harp on her again but the doors to the medical room flung open. And as I saw Jazara prancing towards me, the retort died on my tongue. Has she been good? He asked Aspen. Peachy, she said, fake smiling. But she, but she does want to know why she's being guarded by the oh-so-famous bitch of the League. My words were pointed to Aspen. The drugs wore off then. Jazara snapped, waving his entourage of League soldiers out of the room. Roll over and heal, I called as they exited. Aspen snickered slightly. The sun was reaching its apex in the baby blue sky, dusting the room with shadows. How long have I been locked in this tower? I asked, eyelashes 
flipping as I soaked in a sun ray. Aspen snorted, barely a day. We did, however, have to keep your Prince Charming from giving your true love's kiss. I've, I suppose you are the witchy hag that stole the princess if you want to wander down that tale. I shot back. Aspen, to her credit, only winked and purred. I drew my attention to Jazara, who was watching with amusement. Now that you are feeling yourself, he began. Not drugged and knocked over the head, you mean? I cut in. His eyes squinted, his patience for my sarcastic defect, as he called it, fraying. I drew out the movement of sealing my mouth and throwing away the key, waving for him to continue. Like I was saying, he began, now that you are yourself, there are some things we need to discuss. Like the fact that you are a psychotic dick, I wanted to say, but did not. Instead, I said, is it about stealing the soap from Aspen's house? Because I swear that was not me. A wicked wink had an angry had an angry red pickling her prickling her cheeks. That wink made An turn pink in a different way. I stilled when my thoughts moved to him, and then everything hit me: the escape and the utter failure of it. I hoped Asira got free of their clutches. Though Aspen is more than welcome to dispute her grievances with you. How about we start with why you were in that cave and how you got there? Jazara hissed. It took everything in me not to clench up. Despite your astute countenance and the ministrations of your inane people, you and the League are not as clever as you think, I said, smiling. Aspen bellowed a cackling roar. Someone has been poking around in the dictionary, she mused. I brush up on it occasionally. I said. Jazara began to growl. Hissing and growling are better reserved for animals, don't you think, Jazara? Aspen and Jazara hurt my people, my sister above them all. I would make them pay in any way I could. Butchering them with words seemed like a good place to start. Revenge on my sweet, Jazara began to prowl towards me. Let me give you some perspective. Was Sora's display fun? His interrogation tactics? I shivered as I remembered the pain. Everything he learned, I taught him. So I would dump your hot head in a bucket of ice water if I were you, unless you want a matching scar. I wanted to put something in perspective for him, but I thought I pushed his temper enough for one day and elected to sit back and listen. Thank you, he said shortly. Jazar crossed the room. He had his black and red lined armor on. Aspen was wearing hers too, shedding her usual tight tank top and leggings. I was going to ask if they were preparing for a battle, but Jazara cut me off. I'd love to know who the letter was sent to. My throat bobbled. Oh, yes. We know there was someone planning to get you out. They were going to play it that way then. I decided the clothes were not for battle but for intimidation. I assume whoever that letter was sent to was the person tasked to get you out through the river, he began. So please, 
Enlighten me, Ravenna. I don't know what you're talking about, I said. Perhaps they still thought Asira was dead. Ravenna, we know you're you were planning to challenge Wes. I froze as his slimy words dug under my skin. We know you plan to rebel, to take it to head. And after all our little trust exercises, I thought we were making headway. Turns out I was wrong. This was what I had been afraid of. If I failed, I would not only, I would not be the only one to fail. I would not be the only one to fall. And I had failed in every way. And now, and now we all had to pay for it. I was merely getting a breath of fresh air, inspecting the tunnels outside the falls and happened upon the cave. I shrugged. I hoped he couldn't see the desperation that ate at me. Jazara laughed in a low rumble. Dear Ravenna, have you learned nothing? Do you want to know something else about that letter? It was sent by an unexpected foe. He let fear circle the air, let the meaning of his words grow until the space between us was taut. Adessa, your big sissy, is a traitor. She was the one who sent the letter, the one who planned to get you out. And she will be the one to die for it. Sora is already on his way. My mouth fell open. Adessa. She was in contact with Asira all this time. She was the one who told her about me and told her what to do. I closed my eyes, letting the darkness claim me once more. And my next dream, my next my nightmare, would Adessa take the form of a shadow creature? I am disappointed, Jazara went on, now pacing the room. How long did my sister have? I could do nothing. I failed her too, for she would die and I would not be there to save her. I always thought one day I would see her again, but perhaps all dreams were folly when the League was a living nightmare. You could have made your people into a force to be reckoned with, and now you failed them as you failed me. The ire in Jazara's pale green eyes I saw the ire in his pale green eyes and knew what he wanted to do. I was the one to betray you, not them, I pleaded. They knew nothing, did nothing. It was me and I stilled the letter. What if it was a copy? What if Asira had gotten one too? That would mean, I closed my eyes again. Asira had not gotten captured or killed she must have sent she must have seen the letter and known what it meant about Odessa. Asira was fine. She just didn't come. She went to Odessa. I couldn't blame her for wanting to save a friend, but she didn't tell me. Didn't tell anyone. She left me in that cave knowing full well what would happen. This is the only way. Over and over she said that. The only way. And yet when we needed her, when that way was ready to be pursued, she was not there. Jazara must have seen it, the anger, the fear, because he leaned in and asked, 
who did Odessa send the letter to? An hour ago, I wouldn't have said. An hour ago, I would have protected her. But an hour ago, I thought she would have stopped at nothing to help us. But now I owed her nothing. She abandoned it to had. Abandoned me. I was tired, broken, and she had lied, failed. So with quivering lips, I told him. Asira, I whispered. Asira is alive, though I don't know where she is. She was meant to get me through the tunnels, to challenge your leash keeper. In her chair, Aspen began to cackle. Oh, I almost feel sorry for you. She didn't come, didn't she? She left you at our mercy, oh, Ravenna, dear, sweet Ravenna. You really thought you were getting out, didn't you? The image of her white teeth framed by red lips burned my mind, and the shrill sound that oozed out of such an image battered my ears. Now that is settled. There was a matter of how you were going to gain my trust back, said Jazara. I had to prove myself again. Always prove. I don't want to kill you, and I don't think that would serve my purposes very well. So I am going to give you an option, and we'll give you 24 hours to decide. Another day, another game. I had built a measure of trust over the years, and with one act, I had shattered it all. Are you ready? He asked. I was not. I knew the price for betraying Jazara would be high, but I was not prepared for what he said next. I slept for two hours, my tears lulling me to sleep. Jazara and Aspen had left, and no sooner did their feet cross the hall were my cheeks wet with tears. I had a decision to make. Jazara made that clear if my people to remain living, but I could not take it lightly. The moon cut through the midnight blue sky, its pale glow casting everything in a ghostly sheen. She's awake, a soft voice rippled through the shadows of the room. But I knew his, but I knew his timbre, that calm collected breathing and lily scent before he entered the light. They finally let you in, I whispered and smiled as A.N. approached my bed. How are you feeling? He said calmly. I closed my eyes, breathing in a scent. I think I'd like another shot of adrenaline, please. Only you. He shook his head. I swear I'm the target of everyone's aggression. I keep getting hurt. Well, it doesn't help that you keep running into pointy things. I gaped throwing my hand to my chest as if wounded. Oh yes, this is my fault. Next time I will steer clear of objects that are sharper than a circle. He chuckled softly. My breathing calmed as I messed with the fraying strings of the sheets encasing us. Do they know? I asked about Odessa. He took my hands, curled them into his fingers and pulled me against his chest. I lay there sinking against him. A tear rolled down the side of my cheek, and A.N. caught it. They know about Odessa, he said softly, and Asira. I went rigid, and as if he could read my every thought, my every fear, 
His hand moved to my back, his fingers circling my spine. I hadn't realized how much of my skin was showing until now. My leathers were stripped and folded on the floor at the side of my bed. Only a long purple shirt left to cover me. Were you watching me sleep? I purred. The hand in my back strayed from the, its circling, moving to hold a strand of my raven black hair. Maybe a little. He seemed relaxed, but hesitant, as if he was dreaming and half a thought would make him wake up. I sat up, my nose mere inches away from his. Blush pink ebbed over his cheeks. If you're about to ask me for a lock of hair, I'm about to say no, I said. His laugh sent fire roaring through me. I had things to decide, people to talk to, but right now in his arms, watching his smile, I couldn't move. With a playful wink, he sat up and pushed himself away from the bed. It was then that I noticed mine was the only furniture left in the room. You know, if an asteroid hits and Amaluli needs this room to heal people, you will have to contend with her regarding the bed situations. He bowed, splaying his arms to glorify his escapades. And for what I am planning, I am perfectly fine dealing with her wrath. I sat up straighter. And what exactly are you planning? Nothing short of devious. Ayan said, walking back into the shadows, and when he came out, a small stereo was in his hands. I lifted my brow, and he waved his hand to tell me to quit my fussing. Despite the fact, despite the fact that you have injured yourself three times in one day, I think you can stand. Ayan set the stereo on the washing table. And what are you doing? I asked as I slipped a bare foot onto the cold stone floor, the chill sending goosebumps up my bare legs. The shirt hung loosely to the middle of my thighs, covering my undergarments at least, but barely. I watched and prayed. My cheeks were not turning red as Ayan drew his eyes over the curves of my body. His eyes made the trek up again, and when they settled on my stare, my heart threatened to pop out of my chest. I swallowed, my body burning as I took a step towards him, ignoring the ache at my side and head, because there was Ayan, someone I had always teased, always poked and prodded, and always loved. He tapped the radio, soft music flowed out from it, weaving into the breeze. It was dancing music, slow dancing. Last year, I had mentioned I would love to know how to waltz. He had jabbed at my side and doubled over in laughter, and yet here he was, tall and beautiful, standing by a box that sung the waltz. He bowed and extended his hand. I recall a certain someone wanting to learn to slow dance for her birthday. He closed the distance between us. My breath was heavy as he gripped my hand in his. His arm swooped around to brush the side of my torso that was not injured, and he pulled me against him. Happy birthday, Ravenna. I had forgotten everything that had happened in such a short time. I had forgot I was to turn 20 today. Since when have you been good at dancing? 
or remembering things. I lifted my brow as he took a step, driving my feet back. It wasn't exactly a waltz, <clears throat> more like swaying, but I was entranced. I am a man of many talents, he said, standing proud. I also recall something. I recall you saying a certain three words when I was playing roadkill. He gulped and gripped my torso tighter. We swayed into the path of the moon. Trust me, I'm going to get you back for that. I thought I lost you. And again with Sora, and again when I realized Asira had not been there to get you. My chest tightened. I've been a fool, he went on. You're a fool about many things. You have to be more specific. I nudged him, bringing his eyes back to me. Anne steered us through the path of light. I tried to fight when I, f I tried to fight what I felt for you. I thought if you didn't know, maybe it would go away because, because you were afraid of what would happen if it didn't work out. I whispered. He nodded. I let the soft music lull me, let the moon and Aeon make me calm. I don't want to be ruled by fear any longer, I said, and meant it. I moved the hand at his shoulder and gripped the back of his neck, my fingers brushing the soft curls of his hair. I love you, Aeon Celius. That isn't going to change, and if it does, I'll make sure to kick my own ass so I remember my love for you. His eyes burned as his smile grew. The hand on my torso dug in, pulling me closer to him until only a silken shirt and leathers separated us. And just because I could, my grin turned lazy and I drawled. You're not bothered that I don't have pants on, are you? I aimed at one and one at coaxing out his blush. With a wink, he pulled me away and twirled me around his hand. His eyes dipped down. He breathed, his chest pushing against mine as he drew me back to him. And why should I be bothered? He snickered, hooking a finger under my chin. I unclasped my hand from his, rising it with grace over his head until both of my arms were around him. His smile turned predatory, and his hands moved down my waist, careful not to brush my bandage. We swayed in the moonlight, his dark golden green eyes so bright in the glow. I know I'm beautiful, A.N., I said as my finger moved to caress his cheek. But you, lover, have a blushing problem. I thought my lack of appropriate attire might contribute to the reddening of your cheeks. Lover? He inclined his head, his palms gripping my hips tighter. I grinned as I leaned my cheeks against his, my cheek against his. His nose brushed my neck, giggling as my breath caught. I thought in an appropriate title. I pulled back so our noses were brushing, don't you? His eyes were closed his breath steady as we swayed and swayed. He smiled, moving a hand to cut my cheek. 
what I wouldn't give to stay here, to stay like this, dancing with him. Weeks ago, I would have scoffed if someone had told me here and now I would be in his arms. Yet here we were. I want to take my time with you, he breathed, his eyes tracing the lines of my face. I raised a brow as he guided me towards the window. Really? The most impatient person in the world wants to take their time. We have the rest of our lives, Ravenna, and I'm not planning on loving anyone else. My chest leaped. So yes, I'm going to take my time because you make me come alive. So I will take my time loving you, cherishing you, because I want to show you, show the skies and all who dwell there, how much you mean to me. He pulled me in close. I love you, Ravenna Knox, and I am ready to spend the rest of our lives showing you what that means. Everything burned, A.N., his touch, his smile. Does this taking our time thing mean I can't kiss you here and now? I asked. Well, there are different levels to patience, A.N. breathed. And without another world, word, he curled a finger around my chin and brought his lips to mine. It felt like I had been tethered all my life, and this one kiss burned that tether until it was nothing but fire and ash. Fire that spread between us, burned into us, and left me warm and whole and alive. My lips parted, letting him explore my teeth and tongue. As heat grew between us, as his feet inched near to the wall, I pulled him closer and kissed him deeper. There was something else altogether, a whole new leash that I welcomed with open arms because it wasn't a leash at all. My back hit the stone wall and a hiss blew out as my head and torso roared. A.N. reeled back. I'm okay, I'm okay, I breathed, grabbing my side and feeling along its edges. The wound was warm, but fine, tender and a bastard for poor timing. Once I was sure the bandage was not going to fall off, I flicked my eyes back to him and grabbed a hold of his leathers. He chuckled. As much as I would love to continue that, he brushed his nose against mine. I don't think your wounds would be up for it. I frowned. Since when has a scratch ever stopped me from doing anything? He chuckled again. We have all the time in the world, he whispered, planting a peck on my cheek, a peck and a promise of all that was to come. A.N. pushed off the wall, attempted a pirouette in the air, and extended his hand to me once more. I took it without hesitation. For what seemed like hours, we swayed and laughed, periodically taking breaks to press our lips together and get lost in each other's heat. It was only when color started to edge back into the sky did I pull away. What is it? He asked, following me to the window as I trailed away from him. My skin grew cold as the morning air brushed it. Birds woke up the jungle as a golden blue light dawned. A decision would have to be made today. I rested my head against his chest as I peered out into the jungle. I swear I saw Tikra's tan 
side breached the trees, though it could have been another leopard stalking into Had's borders. Anne's finger trailed the line of my spine. What is it, Ravenna? I sighed, leaning further against him. The night was over, and it was a new day, a day Jazara reserved for his long-standing game of power. Alas, it was one I had to play. My fingers dug into Ayen's sides, bleeding to stay in this moment forever, dancing, swaying, and kissing. But the moment was over. My chest tightened, my throat closing, but I forced the words out. I have to kill one of you, Ayen. He blinked. Jazara told me I needed to prove myself, that I had to kill one of my people or else he would butcher them all. Chapter 50, Meridian. I stood outside the large wooden doors and a nostalgic wave hit me. Suddenly I was 10 again, standing outside those doors, waiting for a fury of rage to unfurl from my, from my father to match the storm that had come from Sora. I had just loaded gun or grapes into a dart stick and opened fire from the watchtower. I was scared scared of what would be awaiting me through those doors. A bad taste accosted my mouth, bitter and lip-curling. For some reason, I had the same feeling now. These were the doors to my mother's study. That day, my father cast judgment there, consulting her, I supposed, or scolding her for birthing such a flippant worm. I shook the thoughts away and straightened. One, two, three, I breathed and opened the doors. The room was bathed in light, the drapes open to the sun's ruthless gaze. My mother, wearing a clean white dress, looked out onto the hills, her shadow the only darkness in the room. Mom, I said, closing her doors behind me. I need to give you something, my rose, she said with a poet's aptitude. She walked over to her armoire. From deep inside her wardrobe, she brought out a long rectangular box, engraved with elegant silver flowers, lotuses by the look of it. Unhooking the latch, she guided the lid open, and my lungs filled with thick, sticky air as she turned it towards me. Inside were two masterful, so masterful swords that emanated an energy which picked my feet out from under me. They were beautiful. A quarter of the way down the sword, the blade swooped into a diamond shape, then slimmed back down, and a single lotus flower imprinted in the center. Further down, where the second allotrope resided, was another lotus. Iela, I whispered. So you know what it is? It's the sword handed down generation to generation in the Nox lineage. Your lineage. I looked up at her perked cheeks. Your mother. Neath Knox gave it to you when you were 17. She had been wounded in battle and wanted you to have it in case the earth was to claim her. I paused, a faint realization forming. Why are you giving this to me now? Because you're ready. Adessa circled her desk to stand in front of me. Do you know what Yela means, Meridian? I smiled up at her. She knew I did. Arabic was now one of the many languages I had mastered. Family, I said, 
It means family. She cupped my face with her warm hands and kissed my forehead. Her lips wavered like she had more to say. My rose amongst thorns, she whispered in my ear. I whispered it right back, holding onto the words as if they might break. It was the saying they it was the saying she taught my brothers and I when we were young. Translation, my family, my love. Pulling my arms around her, I felt a dampness in her shirt and realized she was sweating all over. I reached for her forehead and came away wet. Mom, are you okay? Her eyes wouldn't meet mine. I'm fine, my darling, it's just hot in here. It wasn't. The hair on my neck stood alert. Her tawny eyes shifted back and forth, panic now swimming beneath them. Maybe I'm catching something. Will you get a glass of water and a cold towel? I brought her to her chair. Her fingers shook and her arms were sticky. She had to be okay. I didn't know what I would do if she wasn't. She meant everything to me. When I was sad or angry, I imagined her or Kara and it fizzled away. Let me get you something to cool off, I said. Everything in the bathroom was meticulously clean and organized, just as it always was. Not a scratch or speck of dust. I grabbed a soft hand towel and ran it under cold water. I think you might have a fever. I placed the towel atop her forehead and smoothed her hair away from her face. I'll go get you a glass of water. A pulse probed my brain, saying something was wrong, but I couldn't figure out what. I ran to the closest closet in the hallway, filled with, with cups and towels. What are you doing? The no noise jolted my limbs. Elijah stood behind me, stern as he was these days. Mom is running a fever. I'm getting her a glass of water, I said. He grumbled more as a tug grasped my hand. I looked up and saw him batting at my sword, Yela. I didn't even realize I still had it. She gave you that to you? He pushed out each word as if they created a sour taste. I slammed the closet door. Yes, Elijah, do you have a problem with that? I snapped. We were not children anymore. I was heir. He had to get that through his thick head. Kill marks went up his forearm, three of them. This was not the brother I once knew. Legatus Meridian receiving a special honor. How lovely, he hissed, and I returned the favor. I couldn't deal with his feelings right now. I had to get back to my mother and figure out what was going on with her. She was not sick, but she was nervous about something. Get over yourself, brother, I breathed and started walking away. But he charged and pushed me into the wall hard enough for the plaster to fracture behind. You have always been the chosen one. Why? I used all my strength and pushed him off, sending him stumbling backwards. What is wrong with you? The jealous person you are becoming is unbelievable. Sora has corrupted you to the point where I can no longer recognize my brother. His eyes twitch at the mention. It shouldn't be you, he whispered. You are my sister, my little sister, and you're what, Elijah, a girl? Is that what I am? I grumbled, 
and his snarl told me exactly what he thought of the matter. I have worked harder than any of you, gender be damned. The little fact that I am a woman has never bothered you before. The league is past such things. Maybe it shouldn't be, he snapped. I reared on him, his pupils growing as I slammed him into the wall right where he threw me. At least I don't have a limp stick between my legs telling me what to do. I shoved his shoulder down, then released him. Is this what you're, is this what you, is this you voicing your opinions or is it the little guy? I waved to his groin. Watch yourself, Mare. I staggered back. Never had that name been a curse on his lips. He cocked his head and his eyebrows moved down an inch, listening to something from his earpiece. I sighed. Elijah was still my brother. Elijah, I said, softer, but he just grunted and stormed off, leaving a hole of air in his wake. What just happened? I picked up the drop towels and threw them back into the closet. Scooping Ayala and the cup, I started walking back to my mother's study. She wasn't there when I returned. I placed her sword back in its box and set up the cup on her desk. A chorus of yelling hummed from the halls. The tickle in my throat returned. So did the bad taste in my mouth. Commotion ran rampant on the lower levels. The knell of the alarm shook the office. And I raced into the hall, gaping as everyone started running to Maneri a sea of weapon-graced demons. A large brown blur passed me, throwing its coconut scent my way. Without thinking, I reached out to stop him. Sika, what's going on? I stammered. It's Lila Reyes, he panted. Apparently, a apparently Aaron Larea betrayed your father. Wes has called for everyone to hunt them down. How'd you not hear? My chest grew cold. Aaron, Carr's father. What could he have done? I didn't have my earpiece in, I said. Sweat bloomed in the crevices of my back. If Aaron was the traitor, then my father wouldn't just punish him. He would punish his whole family, Kara included. What about Kara? Has anyone seen her? I'm not sure. I'm sorry. I have to go help look. He started to scamper away, but halted before he went too far. You should come too. You know what your father will do if you don't. I nodded, shaking the growing darkness from my eyes and ran with him towards the connecting bridge. Chapter 51, Sonara. Sonara sat on her bed in the barrack. Everyone else had long been gone. Story probably combing the library for tales of magic or ancient history. Grayer, no doubt, throwing her axes at things or entangled with a certain tall, brown-eyed man. They all did things to make grief and pain go away. Ailments to a disease nothing could cure. Sonara, for one, was curled up under her scratchy covers, half watching a black and white movie ripple into the room. I'm sorry, Sonara. Paxton whispered from the door. Sonara sighed, unhooking her arms from her knees and falling back onto her mattress. It's a waiting game, Pax. 
or simply waiting to hear her die. The mattress groaned under Paxton's weight as he shifted onto it. His eyes were grave. Have you heard anything from Ravenna? Sonara asked. Ayan finally was able to see her last night. He said she was doing okay, tired and cranky above all else. But her injuries are healing, healing, healing well, he said. At least there was that. Paxton sighed, rotating his body as he laid across the mattress. What is Odessa like? He asked quietly. Kind, Sonara whispered as she laid against his chest, resting her hand in the crook of his shoulder. Paxton began to stroke her hair. She's light, a dove, even though that's what she calls us. But people love her too, just because she was to be its head leader didn't mean she balked from the dirty work. She did everything else she did everything everyone else did, even taught the youngins how to hunt, and our people loved her for it. Pax's chest tightened, making Sonara sit up. What is it? she asked. I'm an Alicia, Sonara. Even though I basically grew up here, I can't help but feel like an outsider sometimes. I still have memories of my parents singing me to sleep in our beach house of long nights on the water with my dad teaching me to fish. Shinar, Sonara stiffened. Odessa just seems to be the heart of this place. I wish I had known her. I wish I knew her, he went on. Sonara nestled her head against his chest again. You may not have grown up here. You may have grown up here, but your heart belongs with your parents, with the sea and the small village you were born in, she said. And some part of her, deep down, knew she did too. She loved Itahad, her people and her home. But she also felt the sea calling to her, as if her parents, who had sunk into the waves, were reaching out. That doesn't mean you're not one of us, Sonara said. He nodded, but his gaze was distant. You have fought for us, Paxton, fought for me. If anyone says differently, they can take it up with me personally. With a stern voice such as that, I don't think they would want to. Sonara chuckled and nudged him with her head, but she knew what he was implying. She was growing, getting stronger, able to pull herself out of the water. She didn't know what ha when it had happened. She just sort of learned. She lay there in silence and felt at home with him. I wish I could have met your parents and that you could have met Odessa, Sonara whispered. She would have loved you. Paxton kissed her brow. And why is that? Sonara lifted her head, her stare locking onto his. Because Pax, I love you. Paxton hooked a finger under her chin, leaning his forehead against her own. We will get through this, Sonora, as we always have. They had not been able to steal anything more than a few kisses from each other. And now, together, alone in a room and so close, Sonara wanted more. And why is that? 
she teased as she brushed her nose against his. Sonara could feel the smile on Paxton's cheeks as her lips grazed his neck. Because Sonara knocks, I have loved you for so long. We will get through this as we always have, she whispered so quietly that not even the wind could hear. It wasn't an answer to his statement, but a promise. They would love each other, get through the pain to come together, and they would survive as they always had. A hand moved to the back of Sonara's neck, pulling her closer. She sucked in a breath as his lips brushed her own. He pressed kisses along her neck, her jaw, and lips, as if you could never get enough. His lips brushed the scar at her brow and trailed it with his teeth. All the way to her cheek, she beamed and kissed him right back. He had never balked at her scars, tangible or no, never once. Sonara lifted her head and pulled Paxton into her, her gaze. She kissed him like it was breathing, fire growing in her, embers turning to flame. Looks like Anne and I weren't the only ones to get some action today. Sonara stiffened and Pax went completely rigid. Unapologetic about interrupting, Ravenna kept talking. Where are the others? Grumbling about civility, Sonara rolled off Paxton in the bed, standing in one fluid movement as she glared down at her sister. Ravenna had a wicked grin about her, and A.M. was holding back a smile that said, I am over the moon, but very sorry about our intrusion. Paxton rose, an irritated tick in his brow as he coughed plainly and held his hands over his hips. There was no sock on the door, was all Ravenna said, grinning as she took in his state. Sonara rolled her eyes, stepping in front of Paxton. Stories in the library, and I'm pretty sure Carlo is helping cook in the kitchens. And Lath and Gray are taking the advantage of his unoccupied, unoccupied barrack. Lovely, Ravenna winked. Will you help me round everyone up and meet in our barrack? Why? Paxton started. Ravenna's joy faltered. Because I have an announcement to make. And they need to be here for it, so I'm not talking to air and dust about topics that concern us all. She walked out of the room, Anne on her heels. Sonara knew that whatever she needed to say was not a good thing. Sorry about Anne started, but Sonara held out a hand and frowned, followed her sister out. Anne was not the only was not the one who needed to apologize for Ravenna's antics. Ravenna stilled in the hall, tapping her feet impatiently. Will one of you get Cook and Carlo while the others round up Story and Amalubi? I will go and interrupt another interloping adventure, she said, and bounded off to Leith's barrack. Sonara only scoffed and shook her head. It was hard to stay mad at her, even though her regard for privacy was minimal. Though Sonara was sure Pax would have a few choice words to throw at her sister, at her sister later. Grayer will be none too pleased about that, Ayan chided. I'll go grab Story, he said, and then he was off. What's the announcement? Paxton yelled after him. Ayan's steps wavered. 
Ravenna must be the one to tell you. After Paxton and Sonara had rounded up Cook and Carlo, who had been huddled over a hot stove baking something that smelled of elderberries and cinnamon, they found their way to her bear. Story was there when they entered, flipping through a tainted red book with gold swirls on the binding. Did you run into anything on the way here? Paxton asked as he surveyed the bookworm. A.N. scratched his chin. You know, surprisingly, she can get around pretty well with her nose stuck in a book. Sonara scoffed. That's no surprise. She has had plenty of practice walking through Hajir without looking where she's going. Story chuckled and nodded, finally gracing them with her stare. Sonara just shook her head. Learning how to walk while reading may be impressive, but it wasn't exactly useful, though Story would disagree. Just as Ravenna has had practice being impaled by sharp objects, said Amalui from the corner. A shrewd truckle rippled out from behind Sonara, and she couldn't roll her eyes fast enough before the retort came. Thank you, Amalulu, for that delicate insight. Sonara didn't have to turn around to know there was a smile on Ravenna's face as she walked into the room. Grayer and Lace came in next. The knife cuddler had an irritated scowl on her face, and Lace held a permanent look of swallowing something bitter. Sonara guessed Ravenna had interrupted more than interloping, as she said. Now that we are all here in decent, please take a seat, Ravenna cooed, extending a hand towards the furniture. Amalulu scoffed and sat further into her chair. Stop covering your fearless sarcasm, girl. What happened? Ravenna stared at her, and Amalulu stared right back. The root... The room shifted and Sonara had to stop herself from taking a step back. Surprisingly, Ravenna was the one to relent. As you all know, our dear friend Asira deemed us unworthy of her time and decided to trot off to the League homelands. There was a bite to her words. And as you all know, our plan didn't go as well as we hoped. Whatever had happened after she had been caught had been eating at her. Ravenna? Sonara inclined her head. Ravenna's brown eyes shot to Sonara, and her breath stilled. Ravenna was torn, being torn from the inside, her eyes so muddy and scared. A fear Sonara had not seen in a very, very long time. Tears are the river of strength, my doves, Obasi had said the first time her sister had cried, and every time since. So here, and this room filled with the one she cared for more, foremost, in a home that they would die to protect. Ravenna let her tears fall, and even Amalulu's stare softened. Jazara and Aspen were waiting when they woke up, and then she explained all of it, how she had got knocked out and why, though Sonara already knew that part. She explained what Sora was off to do to Edessa, Meridian, Sonara mumbled. They went to Meridian because she too is like Roisin. Ravenna Ravenna's brow furled, so Sonara explained the short version of what Amaluli had told her, the diary and Meridian's wish for the right legacy. Though as she said it, she wondered if Wes, or even the heir, passed up Elijah. 
knew of Meridian's mixed allegiances. Uh, yeah, allegiances. Ravenna began to chew on her lip. It reminds me of a story Abasi told us long ago, she mumbled, about a warrior named Liliana who saved, well, me, going against her home to create a better one. Indeed, Cook said with a shaky breath. They both wanted a better home, a better life, and fought for it. Ravenna nodded as if she was fitting things together. Sonara thought she was going to brush the subject more, but she simply went back to her discussion about Aspen and Jazara. While she was talking, Sonara shifted her gaze to Cook, who was monitoring them all with a sharp gaze. There was something behind the strength in those brown eyes that sparkled, that sparked a memory, but Sonara couldn't place it. Then Ravenna finished, and everyone's heart stopped. It was not the story that made Sonara halt, that made tears of her own flow. It was her last words that did that, and the ones that quickly followed. Kill one of your people. Prove your loyalty to me in doing so, or I will burn your home to the ground, your people with it. That was what Jazara had said, his final order to a girl who had rebelled all her life the final blow to make Itahad fall to its knees. Sonara's own knees buckled as Ravenna spoke. To kill one of them, it would break her, break their people. Carlo breathed heavy in the corner. Jazara wants a demonstration, he said, his voice full of heartbreak. Then give him me, Ravenna. Kill me so everyone else can live. Chapter 52, Ravenna. No, I blurted. Carlo's smile was tentative, a tear running down the side of his face. My lame is gone, my wife, Miera. Let me join them. Let me do this for our people, for you. Carlo, Sonara and I started, stepping towards the man who had given all of himself, had protected us loved us as his own, and never let us forget the ones we lost. He himself had lost so much, his daughter, his wife. Now he was willing to give his life. Carlo put up his hands, limping towards my sister and I. It's okay, he whispered as he pulled us both to him. It's okay. There must be another way, Sonara sobbed, clinging to my arm as we held him. There had to be. I shook, not Carlo. I lost my father, my mother, and I didn't want to lose another figure who inspired me to be better than those who pushed us down. Carlo pulled away. He looked at me knowingly, his eyes filled with sorrow, and yet something deep within the sea of brown was relief. He wanted this, for he would be joining his family, but we would be losing a part of ours. We will find it, Sonara stumbled. We will find another way. I sucked in a tear. Carlo knew as well as I what the League was capable of and what would happen if Jazara did not get what he wanted. There isn't one, I whispered so quietly I thought no one heard. One or all. That was Jazara's price for my mistakes. I remember Jazara stalking into the cells the day we were all dragged up to the den. 
I remembered the triumphant malice that coated his face. Jazara was relentless, cruel, and he would make sure I had to pay, play his game. Carlo or all of Itahad, it wasn't fair. Not at all. But since when had it ever been fair? The world is judge, jury, and executioner, I had once said. It is a far better murderer. Perhaps I had been right. But human beings were just as capable of holding the gavel to people's lives as the world was. You were trying to save us, as you are now. That is no mistake, Ravenna, Carlo said softly. I am honored to have been able to watch you grow into the leader you are today, Ravenna. You are strong, brave, and what it to had means. His eyes strayed to my sister. Stay together, for you will need each other to bring our people home, to bring them to safety. And you have always been strongest as one. The diplomat, he grazed Sonara's cheek, and the warrior. His fingers squeezed my own. The diplomat and the warrior, that hadn't worked out well so far. How is it supposed to now? Carla took a step towards the door, attempting, accepting the fate he volunteered for. Why, I wanted to rage. Why did he volunteer? But if he hadn't, I would have had to choose. He knew that. He knew that this alone was breaking me. And if I had to choose, I would shatter. I shook my head. I was a coward, accepting his sacrifice so I could save myself the pain of choosing. Was I selfish for not wanting to let him do this? Or was I a coward for not intervening? Failure, coward, failure, coward. It was as if the shadow monsters were inside me now, singing their sentiments in my ear. I am proud of my people, of everyone in this room. Carlo said, his shoulders high and strong. Stay together, stay strong. Never forget your homeland or the ones you love. I will see you again. And when I do, our people will be free. Free because he would die to make it so. That was the desperate wish that entangled with all our desires, to be free for him, for our people, I was not going to fail a second time. I couldn't. We learn from our mistakes, don't we? We get better. I had failed, but I had also learned. Next time, I would not be so easy to make bend or break. Next time, no one would have to die. I would not allow it. Ann came up beside me, a solid wall for me to sink into should I need it. We all looked at Carlo, and he looked back memorizing our faces as if it truly was the last time he would see us again. Failure, coward, failure, coward. Ayan's hand slipped into mine, squeezing tight. After a dance, we had talked about what happened in the camp, who we had killed. He was distant, as if Baylor's blood still coated his hands, and he was worried about me that I was pushing down what I did and what it meant. Some ghosts we can carry with us, I had whispered, and hoped it was true, because I may not be raging at myself for killing Case and Foss, but I would carry Carlo for the rest of my life. I swallowed, nodding at Carlo 
as he took another long step back. So much weight lay in his eyes. We had all grown up too fast. Laith Grayer, Anne's story, and my sister and I. We had grown up too fast, and this man had tried so hard to let us have a childhood. We made s'mores after some hunting trips to wash away the bitter taste of the butchered beast. He read stories of our past with Amaluvi, taught us our mother language in the ramshackle school he helped us set up. Carlo wanted to preserve our culture and remembered that those we had lost and to remember those we had lost. And he had. He was the heart of this place in body and soul. He helped me control my anger, my disgust, helped me remember our history so I could know what to bring back when we gained our freedom. And when we were all older, he was still there, counseling, helping, and loving. He was our father. And I would lose him. We all would. This was our home before the league, Carlo whispered. I know all of you will make it so again. Circling the room, his brown eyes met mine and I knew that I would see him again when the world turned its gavel on me. But for now, I had people to save and a home to free. Chapter 53, Meridian. My knees trembled as hard words, hard woods and carpeted floors turned to stone, my feet now rapping against the balcony where the connecting bridge stood. Sarah was on duty with Daisy in the watchtower focused on all the commotion. Sarah, what have you seen? I yelled up. She yelled back something inaudible. Sika and I watched as the tech whiz shook her head, flipped her wrist at the two of them, and disappeared from above. A few seconds later, she popped through the small entrance of the tower, gliding over with haste. I haven't seen her all day, she said, knowing I meant Kara. And Daisy hasn't seen her since this morning. Aaron and Kathleen Nerea are still yet to be found. Why are you here? Sika asked as if it really bothered him. Well, love, Sarah mocked. One tends to be in the place one lives. Yeah, very funny. I meant why, are you aren't, why aren't you at tech? Isn't Chloe usually on duty with Daisy at this time? Sika's brown eyes narrowed. Well... Let's just say the tech lab needs to cool off for a couple of hours, and I offered to give Chloe a longer break with her boyfriend. You blew up the tech lab again, didn't you? yelled Sika. Only a little love. The wor words were of her. And besides, guys, I snapped. This really is not the time for one of your interloping conversations. They stared at me apologetically. Just then, Daisy exited the watchtower and walked towards us. Have you seen Kara since this morning? I asked frantically. I think she went back home after getting her rations from Hattie. Where's Elijah now? He'll be rallying the search team, Sika blurted. Well, I haven't seen him since he stomped all angrily towards Arce, but where exactly? Sika prodded. Sika, she said quietly. Daisy, he snapped. Sarah, Sarah said. They both frowned at her. Well, we were naming names. I thought I'd give you mine. 
He's probably still in Arce running to command, Daisy said, ignoring Sarah. But, but she didn't get to finish her sentence as Sika bounded away. Well, wasn't he in a hurry to leave, complained Sarah, pointing her nose at the fading man running like a chicken who lost its skin. Daisy opened her mouth to add on to Sarah's whining, but I interrupted them both. We have to go find Kara and we can't hand her over to my father. Meridian, she's our friend, but you know what Wes will do if he finds out. They both exchanged a frightened glance and a knowing look. His assurances, mumbled Daisy. A portion of the League was truly loyal to my father, but the ones who weren't were forced to stay because of his assurances. But even if you were loyal, there were consequences waiting for you if you disobeyed. I knew that all too well. Sarah and her family were born to the League, not scooped up by one of our shadows offering promises for a better life. But after years of torturing and killing, regardless of the wrongs they had committed, her family wanted to leave. My father found their weaknesses and pressed it. Sarah never told me exactly what happened. All I know, knew is that there was a funeral and they never complained again. Another alarm sounded, the alarm to gather ranks. We were running out of time. Let's go. They, this must be serious if they're gathering ranks, Sarah said, her voice a broken melody. I barely saw her as Daisy. I barely saw her and Daisy as they ran towards Arce, my vision waning in and out of focus. Meridian, one of them hollered back. I clenched my fist, my knuckles turning white as I ran to catch up. Every step I prayed. Left foot. Let Kara be safe. Right foot. Let her family be free. Left foot. Let the meeting to come not be in order to hunt down my best friend, right foot. Where did my mother run off to? By the way, Sora's back, Daisy said, and all my breath left me when, as we hauled ass to the training hall. Once in the training hall, Daisy separated to join the other level threes. Sarah and I walked towards Sika and Chloe into the level five cluster. Even though I was now a level six and should have stood with them, my navy blue lined suit marking me as a legatus was separation enough. Chatter mused all across the room, whispers of death. From the look of it, no one knew why we were called to gather ranks. Mare, Chloe wormed her way over, burying her teeth at the others in order to get next to Sarah and I, Terence not far behind. The doors flung open, the action making the whispers smolder like an ember waiting to ignite. My father stepped into the room. Everyone went silent. For shackled and beaten beside our wrecks stood Aaron Lorea and my mother. My father's eyes were beads of hot coal, their vibrant green intensifying as they scanned the room, dancing over every shaken face. You all know these two. He grabbed my mother by her hair, raising her head so everyone could see. I couldn't breathe. My loyal friend, my beautiful wife. His hand released, dropping my mother's frail form to the ground. 
I had never seen it before. My mom, scared. This was what she was nervous about earlier. She knew, she knew my father had found out something. I wanted to run to her, slash at my father's hands and hold her tight enough to save her soul, but I was frozen. The room shrunk around me, and the one time I needed to act, I couldn't. Mask your fear. Never let it show. My mask was ripped to sheds, beyond use. I have said for months now there is a traitor among us. West started. You know that what I value above all else is loyalty. We are a society that thrives on it. The Rex motioned for Sora to bring him the small table that we used for playing chess. Dance with me, Sora, Roshin had said. How did the demon of the league go from holding his love in his hands to a monster who felt nothing but a lust for blood? What was she like? Beautiful in every sense of the word. She had been. She was the rose of the league and she was dead. Death is nothing but a punishment, my father always said. Did it break him and Sora to have their Roshin die when she did not deserve to meet the ground? Elijah stood beside the demon, his emotions a mix between Wes's and Sora's. They had nestled their way into him to the point where I worried there was nothing left of my brother. No, I whispered to myself. Not Elijah, not my mother, not Kara. He was still in there. I just needed to reach and find out, find the brother I once knew. But nothing I had done so far placated his shadows. There are four pillars to the league, my father bellowed, and my attention snapped back to him. Strength, strategy, knowledge, and loyalty. It is what keeps us organized and balanced. If one of those pillars tumble, Wes took the small axe and swung it in the air, cutting one of the legs off the table. It fell over sideways, making a wood-on-wood -wood crash. If one of the pillars is to fall, he said in a deeper, more mellow voice, we all come crashing down. The league is now based on pillars of death and torture, said Aaron. Someone has to stop it. Someone has to remove you. That was supposed to be the, this was supposed to be a place of salvation. Now it is all, it's cursed. All because of you, your father, and his father, the bastard monsters. The Rex did not let him finish. Taking the once councilman's head and bashing his teeth across the broken table. Splinters and blood flowed towards the group of warriors huddling silently in their ranks. You, you hid your true history, our true history, and convinced everyone here that it is how the league has always been run. Kara's father spit out a chunk of blood. We tell pretty lies, Meridian so our home can stay hidden and the world can be safe. My nose tingled as my breath caught. My socias, legatuses, and generalises, my father declared. And of course, my dear children, Elijah and Meridian. He didn't mention Rowan. He didn't care about the weak child. Do you want to know what happened here? Why I have called you? He picked up Aaron like 
he weighed nothing. This is an execution. Whispers rippled among us, and I stepped forward. Elijah, who had somehow snuck behind me, grabbed my arm and shook his head. In the far left corner, I saw Rowan, held by a tall guard in newly shined armor. We locked eyes, his red and puffy. Scratches adorned his brow. I would tear the guard's face off for touching a hair on my brother's head. My predatory glare had Elijah nodding to our brother, raising his eyebrows and shaking his head, more as a threat than a reminder. If you move, they will kill him. These two, my father said, they plant, they planned my death. They planned to take your wrecks away and all that you hold dear. They planned to ruin this place and your families along with it. Wes craned his head over to Sora, who held my mother under his firm grip. Do not, do not follow blindly. We tell pretty lies, Meridian. You are my rose amongst thorns. Words of the past threw me off balance until the room was spinning. My father sucked in a large breath, a dragon ready to light up the world. Catherine and Cara Lorea are dead, shot down while trying to escape Maneri. This is what happens to traitors. Their family gets a little smaller. Dead? It took everything in me not to fall to the ground and sob. My face was numb. I didn't even know if I was crying or not. All I knew was that if I moved, I would make the problem worse. Kara was my best friend, and maybe something more. She was the one person I could talk to, the one person I knew I could trust. I swallowed something hard. Do not follow blindly. No, Kara was dead. I began to push and pull Elijah's hand off my arm but he held me tight. I was the better fighter. I could escape his grasp easily, but before I did, Sarah touched my shoulder, her fingers gentle. She lost a friend today too. Chloe was there on my other side, weaving her hand in mine. Her eyes rose to Rowan, reminding me who would die if I should try something. Not a threat, a plea. She didn't want to see any more deaths today for your crimes against the Rex, against the throne bloodline, and against the League. I sentence you, Aaron Lorea, to death. I looked into Aaron's eyes. There was fear, sadness, but somewhere hidden within, there was a feeling that, su that surprised me, relief. Pass on to the next world and suffer at the hands of our fallen Socius. Legatuses and generalises, West continued. Smiling, my father took his knife and carved a clean line right through Aaron's throat. His body shook, blood pouring onto the floor. In a few moments, he would be dead. All noise had drained from the room. It was so quiet, I could hear Aaron's blood seeping into the floor creases. And for you, my wife, Beloved Odessa, West said with an exaggerated extent of sorrow, for your crimes against the Rex, your husband, the throne bloodline, and the League. No, I could barely hear, my head screaming. I sentence you to death. 
No, father, I blurted. He looked at me as if I was a poor puppy who was begging for scraps. Oh, my dear, I know you don't understand, but you will. I am doing this for you and for my league. All sense was gone. I could think of nothing but my mother, the woman who used to sing me lullabies to sleep, the one who taught me her culture and language, the one who laughed when I made a mistake in her dialect, poking my nose and rubbing her lips onto my forehead. I locked my eyes with her, pleading. I couldn't lose her. There was so much I wanted to tell her, still so much comfort I needed, and so much comfort she needed, and so much she needed to do and see, to live through. She shook her head to tell me to stay down, her lips moving but no sound escaping them. Hialatehubin, she mouthed to me, my family, my love, a goodbye. Though it pains me to see you go, my father's words were now muddy and far away. May you find peace in the world beyond, but be forever haunted by your choices in this world. I erupted, but it was too late. Wes ground his knife across my mother's neck. Her blood flowed in gushes of sticky hot liquid, drenching her gown until it was no longer white. Elijah let go, frozen. Rowan was yelling in the corner, trying, trying to escape the force his capture of his capture's grasp. The world slowed, and the only sound I heard was my own breath. I didn't count. I couldn't. I would not help me now. Not anymore. I stumbled to my mother, her blood straining, staining my hands. Mom, please don't go. Please, I still need you. I still need you. I cradled her head, the knot in my throat preventing me from breathing preventing me from thinking. Her soft pink lips opened slightly, forming to a smile as her red-dipped hand cupped my face. It was warm, marred, and burned my skin. I watched as the light drained from her eyes, as the deep tan of her skin muted. Suddenly, the mark on the back of my neck stung as if I was being poked with hot metal. Murder, that's what this is. That's what I did, what I had done. Marks of murder. Stay strong, Wes's voice thrummed from above. This was for the best. He reached down to grab me, his ring dripping with the blood of his victims, people he swore to protect as members of his league. I twisted his hand and pushed him backwards. He smiled approvingly. Rage and disgust surged through me. Rowan bumped my side as he landed on the floor next to me, his nose and eyes dripping. How did you get free? Wes said. Maybe you're not as useless as I... Bile churned in my stomach. You will not touch him, I yelled. Train me as much as you want. You have said yourself that I'm the best here, but do not touch Rowan. Because of everything you have done today, you owe me at least that. I looked into his eyes, wanting hoping to see a speck of remorse, but there was none. They were unremorseful, cold, dead, and somehow proud of me. I once relished in his pride. Now I felt disgusted and dirty, like I was covered in grime that I could not wash off. Do not push it, little one, he said. 
Do not forget who holds the power here. He turned away and motioned for everyone to disperse. I looked back at Elijah. He shed no tears, but he did look sad and guilty, firmly in place as if he had been petrified. Why wasn't he in tears? I took Rowan's hand in my own and together we knelt next to our mother. My new legatus suit now stained red. Elijah brought her to West, Rowan whispered so only I could hear. He heard the news of what she did over the calms. He went and got her, and instead of getting her out, he handed over to him. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Elijah try to flee the room. Mark her death, brother, I said firmly. He stopped in his tracks. Our father may have been the one to kill her, but make no mistake. You were the one who brought her to her execution. Her death is as much on your hands as it is on his. Elijah wavered in the doorway for a moment, cradling his elbow, then exited the training hall without a word. Sarah, Chloe, Rowan, and I took Odessa's body out back to Barry, and alone that was not her, of her own country. We scrubbed her blood from the floor until there was no trace of what occurred, washing out the grains of the wood, sweeping a floor that no longer made me smile. When I saw the weapons on the wall or the ugly chandelier on the ceiling, because you couldn't wipe away pain, no matter how hard, no matter how hard you tried. No. Pain lingered. A ghost you cannot get rid of. Chapter 54. Sonara. It happened not long after. It was rainy, no hint of blue in the sky, as if the jungle had known what was going to happen. The breeze was senseless, angry as it whipped their backs and disheveled their hair. Ravenna's head was bowed, bowed. Her arms crossed over her stomach as if Vile was on the verge of running rampant across the muddy grass at her feet. Sonara knew the feeling, for when Jazara walked Carlo out, a sword to his back, Paxton's, Paxton's hand on her shoulder was the only thing stopping her from running and upchucking her dismal breakfast. Sonara's people were dispersed, all watching, all waiting, all mourning. Grayer and Leith were by her side, their scowls equally as gravel-shapen. It would be a hard day for everyone, even for Aspen, apparently, for the red-headed bitch was frowning at the dull sky, her fists clenched as she shook out her so soiled hair. Talon ro rocked on his feet near the weapon shed, his face cast down and blotchy. At least one of the League soldiers was regretting what was to come. One out of so many that said nothing, did nothing to question this execution. Mud squished and oozed under his boot, the sound a death knell to Sonara's ears. For your acts of treachery, Jazara began, throwing Carlo on his knees in front of Ravenna. The sound of his boots hitting the mud make her in, made her inside scream. Grayer had stormed out after Carlo left to say his goodbyes. Lace on her heels. He later told Sonara that they sparred out their anger until Grayer dropped on the ground and wept. Sonara had never seen Grayer cry. 
never seen such sadness pierce her joking yet hard exterior. Nor had she seen Laith the way he was now, clutching Grayer's hands as if they needed each other to stand. In the center of the den, Jazara handed Ravenna the axe that had been twirling about his hands. Swing, Sonora wanted to yell at her. Swing at Jazara and be done with it. From the ire in her eyes, Sonara knew Ravenna was thinking the same thing. But the League was watching. Ravenna would not kill Jazara here when all of Itahad's fate rested on this one moment. I failed, her sister had said. They all had. Sonara had cornered her sister an hour earlier. And finally, finally she got to talk about what happened in the camp. How Ravenna had killed those two League soldiers. Sonara knew there was some part of her sister that regretted killing them, but she also knew that she was angry, and they had threatened her people. She knew Ravenna did it to save them from Jazara's wrath. Yet Sonara wanted to tell Ravenna that she had given enough. But now, with the rain that sent a chill down Sonara's spine, she knew Ravenna would regret this, that if killing Foss and Case hadn't broken parts of her, this sure would. But like Asira had said, what choice did they have? Sonara wondered if she if she shed a tear, would the world notice, or would it be deemed a gift from the rain? She didn't care if anyone saw the red speckle specking her eyes. Not when Carlo was on his knees, and not when her sister held the weapon that would kill him. Ravenna had not, never trusted the gods, but Sonara wondered if they saw her tears and saw that they were falling, who they were falling for. Or if her sister was right, that they didn't care at all. Drums buzzed in the air. For your acts of defiance, Ravenna knocks. I sentence you to take a life, a life for the lives you told, a life for the trust you shattered. Chazara's voice was a blade to the wind. What a nice little lie all wrapped up in a bow. Neith had said before she was murdered. What is the story? Corin had asked. They were all standing, all watching, knowing what would happen, and were unable to do anything to stop it. Sonara wondered if Asira had known this would happen. Ravenna raged enough about the woman for her to know how betrayed her sister felt. But had the crone known that Carlo's life would be the price of a broken promise? Jazara kept rambling, but Sonara only heard half of it. The sound of the drums and rain drowning out all else. What a nice little lie, she repeated to herself. Paxton's hand moved down to clasp her own, but it wasn't enough to stop her knees from shaking. Not this time. Not enough to keep her breath steady and chest calm. Jazara rounded on Ravenna and Carlo a hound assessing its caught prey. Let this be a lesson to all. Itahad will bow to the League. It will do our bidding, or more lives will be taken, more blood spilt by Obasi's sweet little doves. Sonara's fists clenched, and across the den she saw her sister do the same. Their eyes met, and she knew what was running through Ravenna's mind. Trezara did not get to use those words against them. Ever. Ravenna would make them pay. When the chance occurred, her eyes, when the chance occurred, 
she would make them pay. Her eyes flickered with the promise. Let you pass into the next world. Jazara's speech was directed at Carlo now. Let you remember what led to your death and who took it. He nodded his head to Ravenna. Carlo's stare was distant, though his brows were coarse. He knew exactly who was responsible for his death. Not the woman holding the axe, but the man guiding it. Ravenna's face was stone. Sonara thought the rain may burst into steam as it grazed her, but it didn't. It simply rolled down her defined cheeks, as if they were the tears she was repressing. Ravenna raised the axe. The jungle stopped its usual lively buzz as the axe wavered in the sky, not even the whisper of the wind to interrupt the blank state of the air. Jazara stopped prowling. Ravenna, carry out the sentence given, he said. The world was growing so quiet that one drop of rain could shatter an eardrum. Ravenna's hands shook her fingers readjusting her grip. Carlo bowed his head, mumbling something too soft to hear. Her sister muttered something back and sucked in a breath, closing her eyes. When she opened them, a cold fury was on her face. Sonara shook at the stare and saw that even Jazara blinked. Ravenna took another breath, staring at nothing but the man on his knees. Pax's grip on Sonara's hand tightened, and just as a scream burned her throat, Ravenna let the axe fly. Sonara wanted to watch it cut through Jazara's head, or Aspen's. She had never felt such anger, even as a child watching something she had not understood. She never wanted to know how Carlo's soft smile and charismatic laugh could be wiped away by the swipe of a blade. Never wanted to see his head roll into the blood-soaked mud, or watch as her sister fell to her knees in it. Ravenna shook, her eyes and mouth trembling as she gaped at what she had done. Sonara didn't register the pain as her own knees slammed into the ground, didn't understand how badly her throat burned as she knelt over and sobbed. Sonara gulped down breath, Pax now on his knees doing the same. Carlo was dead. Beside her, Greyer and Lace were shaking with anger, every nerve in their bodies convulsing as they held each other and stared down Jazara. Ayan, not far off, was streaked with tears and watching Ravenna. Ravenna would never forgive herself, and Sonara would never forget what Jazara did to them. Somewhere deep within the jungle, a leopard roared, and so many calls went up to answer. It was Tigra. She knew it. Ravenna's head shot up, her bloodshot gaze cutting to Sonara. The cries thundered through the air, their roars and the tears of so many haunted her through the night, cutting through the hum of the jungle. The sounds didn't stop, not even when Sonara was curled against Paxton in the barrack, drifting off to a haunted sleep. Chapter 55, Ravenna. News of Odessa's death came that night. And when it hit, I had run out of tears to shed. I sat in the corner of the medical room and sobbed through my teeth until my head roared as furiously as Tikra and her clan's cries. Yalati Hubin, 
Carlo had whispered just before the end, my family, my love. I had murmured, you have lived this life, now live peacefully in another. Before my axe crashed down and broke him, broke me. I murmured it now, as Aeon walked through the doors and scrunched himself against the wall next to me, whispered it as he told me Odessa, my sister, was also dead. He said nothing else as the clouded day passed into night, said nothing as he wrapped his arms around me, pulled me close, and cradled my being. No stars illuminated the veil of night, no fireflies dancing in the inky, inky dark blue shadows. My knees still ached from their fall to the ground, still shivered as mud and rain and blood were layers of grime on my leathers. I had kneeled there for so long, watched the mud and rain soak Carlo's graying body. I hadn't noticed everyone else leave, or that Aeon had stood behind me until Tikra's roars stopped, and life, however quiet, resumed in the jungle. I had stood so shaky and dreary and stumbled all the way here. I heard Aeon's feet follow me, but I didn't care. I had shut the door in his face and crawled into the cold, dark corner. I let the shadows take me, because I deserved it. Carlo was gone, and so was my sister, Odessa, one murdered by Wes, one killed by me. It may have been Jazara who gave me no alternative, but it was my hands that held the axe. I had failed, and Carlo and Odessa's life were the price. My fists curled, scrunching Anne's damp leathers now that were coated in moonlight. Asira had said the tunnels, challenging Wes, was the only option. I wouldn't accept that. Couldn't believe that my people would be subject to the League for the rest of its existence. There would be another chance, another way, and I would be ready when it came. For Odessa, for Carlo and Lane and every one of the 15 who died in that camp. For everyone who died in the pyre and everyone still living, I would find another way, even if I had to get singed by hellfire to do it. The, de the devil may have a realm of chaos and death, his monsters walking in the skins of Wes and his hound Sora. But I had something too, something stronger than the League's power. I had a will to save my people and to get back my home. A will that would rain down more fire than Wes and his goons ever could. One day there would be an opening, no matter how small, and I would take it. That day Jazaro would see how wrong he was to staunch my will. That day I would avenge the dead and restore life to the living. Epilogue I walked back to my mother's study. The draining sun cast the room in a warm glow, like it wanted to preserve the beauty of the one who once worked here. The wood-washed wardrobe was ajar from when Odessa pulled the beautiful silver box out of it. Before I went to close it, I spotted a little seam in the plaited wood. The cool grain of the wood was raw, like it had been repeatedly rubbed against. I gently took my thumb and pushed it. Out popped a drawer. Dusty books in various sizes swam within the drawer, and parchment and scrolls lay on its velvet inlays. 
I fumbled with a leather-wrapped book, almost dropping it when I saw the date edged into the gold paint on its front cover, 1940. That was the year of the fire in Salis, but those records were supposed to be destroyed. I flipped the archaic thing open, scanning the dainty cursive words. There was nothing notable or outstanding. Once I got to the back cover, I saw a small leather tucked between the two letter tucked between the two last pages. It was written in my mother's swooping handwriting. Dear A.E., this may be the last letter I send. Wes is becoming more and more suspicious as the days told on. Aaron and I have plans, but we have to work fast. I agree with the decision you have made. She is not ready. Her choices are not as clear as they once were, guided by her unruly fear and anger. My dear friend, I must ask you for a favor one last time, for I fear my time is at an end. Please find my daughter, Meridian, and tell her the truth. I see her struggle between good and what Wes is pushing her to do. I would help, it would help her to know what actually happened the night of the fire how Cato used it to gain power and, and assassinate all who disagreed with him. Tell her my story, my family's story. Your league used to not kill, even if people deserved it. Show her how things once were. Meridian must see this, for she can help you on your mission too. She can bring about the right legacy. Stay safe and hidden. Adessa. My fingers shook, and so did the paper as I let the letter as I set the letter down and clutched my hair. All we were taught had been a lie. Killing was not necessary, yet my great-grandfather great-grandfather made it one. There will come a time when you need to make a decision. It is then when you will know what is truly in your heart. Ivo had said so long ago in a small office in Russia. Meridian, Sarah whispered from the doorway. What happens now? Chloe asked from behind her. The two entered the room, their eyes a hue of red. There was loyalty in their faces, not forced, but born and bred. I have a plan, I said, rubbing my sun pendant in my fingers, the sun Takara's moon. Suddenly, I felt a dire need to find her necklace, but it was probably on her body, and that was somewhere in the forest growing cold. I took a deep breath. It may take years, I continued, but I will find a way to get us safe. We will find the truth, and if need be, I will fight Wes, to the blood and the bone. Their backs straightened, their brows raised in an unyielding determination. This was loyalty born and bred, a bond that could fight through demons and all of death's creatures, a bond that would crush the monsters writhing in this world. I would play the long game, use patience to my advantage. It would be a game of chess, a legacy battle. Wes against me, except he wouldn't know what's coming. The end. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Individuation Podcast. A special thank you to Dylan for coming on again. We hope that you enjoyed the series. Tune in again next time to the Individuation Podcast for another episode soon.
at the Institute of Conflict greatly appreciate all of you listeners. Please share the podcast with your friends and spread the word. If you would like to help expand our community, like us on Facebook and Instagram and give us a five-star review on iTunes. I'm Sonia Mahmood and you've just listened to the Institute of Conflict Individuation Podcast. We'll be back soon.